Hi, it's Jamie, progressive number one, number two employee. Leave a message at the... Hey, Jamie, it's me, Jamie. This is your daily pep talk. I know it's been rough going ever since people found out about your acapella group, Mad Harmony, but you will bounce back. I mean, you're the guy always helping people find coverage options with the Name Your Price tool. It should be you giving me the pep talk. Now get out there, hit that high note, and take Mad Harmony all the way to nationals this year! Sorry, this is pitchy. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. You are listening to the Voices of Wrestling podcast with your hosts, Joe Lanza. X out, go listen to some boring podcast where they're afraid of their own shadow. Okay? Don't listen to Joe Lanza because Joe Lanza's not changing. And Rich Crange. Give me a name. Like Who delivers this guy in a big spot? Joe, don't yell at me. Like in, the, in the big spot. Who delivers better than this guy? Just stop yelling at me. I agree. All right, welcome once again to the Voice Wrestling Podcast. I am Rich Crange alongside, as always, the man himself, the king of banter, Mr. Joe Lanza. Joe, how's it going? I'm dabbing. Are you? In in your in your den? Or were you dabbing in your den yesterday? No, I, the, I definitely didn't dab. Nor, nor am I dabbing. Have you ever dabbed in your life? I, I will never dab. Okay. Do I do I seem like someone who would dab? Uh, not at all. No, that's why I was just curious. I don't know. Like, not even ironically, you never like in your you haven't like when the you know Todd Gurley scored a touchdown. Insert you know fact about hometown team here. Uh, something happened there. You 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 haven't dabbed a a touchdown celebration or anything like that or no? I don't think Todd Gurley's going to score a touchdown until about week six. So I don't <laughs> he's the Rams running that. back, right? Yes. I, I got it right. Okay, good. I was I was very nervous about saying somebody that wasn't on the Rams. So. I, like, I was going to say some Chiefs, like, quarter. Jamal Charles is still on the Chiefs? Jamal Charles, sort of? yeah, I believe he's still on the Chiefs. Okay. All right, well, there you go. See? I'm a, um, a wealth of NFL knowledge. <laughs> yeah, you're an NFL master. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, the Rams won't be scoring until about week six, and I will not be dabbing uh, for the occasion. Yeah, well, you got you got your boy Jeff for another three years. So that's pretty cool. Right? <sighs> Reds baseball. Sorry, let's not let's talk about Reds baseball instead. I rather would to be the red the red hot Reds, man. Break up the Reds. They're they're coming. Good second half, going in the right direction. I legitimately and Straley, you know, firing Dan Straley out there. You know, he's, he's killing it. I legitimately believe that they will that they will <laughs> challenge for a playoff spot next year. I genuinely believe that. I like that. Okay, yeah. they, they of garbage. I I would love my team on the uh, uh, my team to do the same thing and realize that maybe for a year let's just not be good and develop some young guys and see what happens there. But no, we just go for you know seventy four wins every year. So it's pretty sweet. They won't win the division. They won't come close to winning the division. They're they're miles. Uh, no, that NL Central is pretty locked up for a while. They're miles behind but. the Cubs. But I, I I don't see you know you know I I think they can challenge for you know wild card two. I, I, I see no reason why they can't. So I'm excited about them. Not so, Getting the coin flip game, yeah. Not so excited about the Rams uh, whatsoever. <laughs> that was an embarrassing, pathetic performance. Uh, it is awful. I mean, there's nothing else you could say. You know. What about Case Keenum? Uh, uh, the, I mean, you draft a quarterback, but screw that guy. Who cares? Case Keenum is your savior, man. I like it. You know, it's ballsy. I like it. He's, I don't like it at all. He's, it's terrible. He's, <laughs> he's not an NFL starting quarterback, and it's kind of unfair that people are beating him up. Uh, they don't. They don't protect. They have no receivers. Um, they, you know, it, you see what the 49ers did. You just play eight in the box and stop Gurley, and they can't throw the ball. 
And that's what teams are going to do all year. Um, you know, so is this KMP or what? What are we doing here? Uh, no, we can do it. I mean, if you want, we can do all sports. But no, there's tons of good wrestling stuff that we're going to talk about. I was going to, I was going to segue there in a moment. We're saying you're not excited about your Reds, but we were very excited about the Cruiserweight Classic. We'll talk about that. Uh, Backlash had a really good show, so we'll recap that a little bit. We're going to be a little abbreviated here today because I got some stuff to take care of. So we're not going to go our, our full boat three hours here, but we'll still give you some g- decent stuff here. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about a big event going on in Dragon Gate. Um, could be the end for one of the biggest stars and one of our favorite wrestlers in Dragon Gate coming up soon. And also possibly some news about Katsuri Shibata, a little bit of New Japan stuff as well. But before I do that, Joe, I want to tell you about today's sponsor, Dollar Shave Club. Guys, you don't need to choose between price and quality to get an amazing and affordable shave. DollarShaveClub.com is the answer, Joe. To prove how amazing their shave really is, right now they're going to give you the first month free to join the club. Are you ready to join the club? Are you going to be a Doc Gallows in there and join that Dollar Shave Club? I'm ready to join... The Dollar Shave Club, I'm not ready to join the club. I, I, I do not want to join the club, but I will, okay. I will gladly join the, the dollar. The one with the razors, Rich. Tell us more about Yes, it. okay. All right, I will. But, so I'm going to say the club coming up in a little bit, but do do understand that I'm talking about Dollar Shave Club and not Doc Gallows and Carl Anderson, okay? Just, just for the reference, because I'm going to say the club here in a moment, and I just want people to know. But, Joe, this is your chance. This is finally your chance to see why over 3 million people – including me and you, love Dollar Shave Club. Dollar Shave Club is so confident in the quality of all of their products, Joe. Now you can get their first month of the club. You can join the club for free first month. No price. Just pay the shipping. After that, it's just a few bucks per month. No long-term commitment. No hidden fees. There's no reason really not to do it. So you can get yours at dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. That's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. And Joe, I have my little freebies that they gave me. I know you got some as well. I'm liking a lot of this stuff. I'm not a big shaver, but that's not a big deal here. They they they're, they want to just they change the bathroom. You know what I mean? Like I had they had the body wash I've been using. I smell great. They have some good soaps in there. Um, the nurse actually stole all my razors. So she has uh, said that they're very good. She won't let me shave with them because she wants to shave her legs with them. So that kind of sucks. I can't use those. But hey, they seem like they're pretty sweet and she loves them. So no, we're big fans of the Dollar Shave Club just because it's it's not just shaving anymore. And it's not just for men as well. Like I'm saying, the nurse was like, oh, I'm stealing all this. And I was like, all right, well, that's fine. I'm going to take my, my body wash and, and go there. Joe, what have, what have you liked from uh, the little goodies that they gave us comes with a box full of gimmicks so it's not just razors so uh yeah everyone should join the club the one with the razors not the awful club on raw the 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 one with the razors the good club. that's right the good club that pays us yes that club's good <laughs> the, the other club not so good so anyway that's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices and that you you go right there you start your first free month you get all the goodies then you can decide from there if you want to join in and again it's just a few bucks per month no long-term commitment, no hidden fees, cancel anytime you want. But yeah, there's really no reason not to do it. So it's dollarshaveclub.com slash voices. We thank them for sponsoring this week's show. So Joe, let's get to the Cruiserweight Classic. So did uh, did Amber Gallows quit the club? What the hell is going on uh, I, yeah, I was about to say, the club uh, The club could use a new member because the, uh, the bullet babe is, uh, I don't think she's a bullet babe anymore. I, that, I mean, she might still be a bullet babe. I don't know if that like precludes her from being a bullet babe, but um, I don't. Yeah, she's. Uh, I don't think anything's going to preclude her from marching out on indie shows to the Bullet Club theme, and <laughs> <laughs> hocking those T-shirts too. Oh yeah, and absolutely. proceeding to have the worst matches imaginable. But um, that was weird, huh? I mean, yeah. So she comes out with yeah. So basically, the, the background of people were kind of dancing around here a little bit. So uh, Amber O'Neill, who's Amber or was <laughs> Amber Gallows, uh, Amber O'Neill Gallows, whatever. We're not even sure. Yeah, because well, right now her Twitter account just is Amber O'Neill, and for a long time it said Amber O'Neill Gallows or whatever, and it said you know you know married model or something like that, and then it said single model, and now that whole part's completely gone. But um, she got really pissed that uh, Doc was hanging out with Dana Brooke in one of like the backstage segments. 
And there was, she put it like, I don't, I forgot what the tweet said, but she got very mad. And then like little by little, every single week, like things kind of changed a little bit to the point now where she is, the gal is not in her Twitter account anymore and it doesn't say single anymore. So, or it doesn't say uh, married anymore. So I don't, uh, I don't know what's going on there, but, uh, did she say I'll kill a bitch or something to that effect. She did say I'll kill a bitch. It's been yeah. erased since then, but I, <laughs> this is completely bizarre. I mean, I can't imagine a grown woman, you know, 40 years old or whatever she is is going to be that upset over a television angle. He's got to be banging Dana Brooke, right? I mean, he has to be. Or at least she uh, thinks yeah. that that's... She has to think that that's what's happening. There's no way that a grown woman was upset over a one-week television angle, right? I mean, I mean, I know you don't know the answers. I know you're not, uh, you know... I know you're not on the here's, phone with okay, Amber so Gallo. Here's the tweets for you. Here's the tweets for you real quick, just so we have some reference here. So uh, somebody uh, at Dashing Soul J decided to uh, say, hey, at Amber O'Neill one you don't have a problem with at Dana Brooke WB joining up with the club, do you? Which, by the way, stop tagging wrestlers in tweets. Stop, stop, stop. But in this case, she answered, so what can you do? Uh, and Amber replied, I, w- I will kill a bitch. So uh, Dana Brooke followed by saying, ouch. And then Amber followed up by saying, actually, let me rephrase that. I would kill a bitch if I cared enough to do it in this case. I'll just let her. I'll just let them have her. Hashtag trash. Let him have her. Hashtag Miss Piggy. Ha ha ha. They traded me for hashtag Miss Piggy. Moving on up, boy. Well, I thought about it. Hashtag Mitch Piggy. Uh, Miss Piggy is a much better fit for him. Is she doing like a a poor? Is this like a poor work shoot kind of thing? I, I don't. I yeah. It's poor. I mean, you're you're right on the money with that. Whatever I, it I is, no it's idea. poor. I don't know what's happening here. Because then she tweets out, ha, 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 never know where I'll show up. Flame emoji, 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 and flame emoji. So, Did you get the correct amount of flame emoji? I did. I actually made sure that I had it correct so everybody knows. Really, the emphasis was put on those, you know, uh, those, those flame emojis. So what emojis, do you think? So. I'm leaning towards she thinks this is like some kind of well, funny work. I can't imagine yes. situ- this can't be real. Is all I'm saying. It cannot. Like they're not going to hire her though. So like, you know what I mean. Like it's it's cool that you think you're going to do that. And, like I can't accept though. But she did say like I, I know. And by the way, we have like so much to talk about. I don't know why the hell we're talking about this. But she was like tweeting out the other day that like oh I moved in my new house and like oh life's changed and all. That. Like again, she could be lying out of her ass and that it's a big thing. But I, she did say like this past week oh I've moved now. I'm, I've moved to a new place. Like I got the. So I don't know. I it, it seems a little. It's 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 very. She's really into the gimmick, if that's what it is. is it, I'll say is that. Is it possible they broke up and Dana thing had nothing to do with it, but she just kind of turned that into some poor work shoot? This is weird, Rich. I can't figure out what's going on with this. All I know is it's bizarre. I mean, they are they they did get officially married, correct? That's correct. I believe so. Yeah, I'm I'm almost positive. So so it's not like they just like broke up and like he's got a you know in between raw tours figure out how to get back in the house to get his cds i mean they were like married right not that he has cds in 2016 i was gonna say i don't <laughs> that's just Man, the... you know what? if anybody would have it doc ellis would have it like yeah he his, might like, have cds that's true it's like verve pipe cds or some crap that he's verve got pipe. <laughs> you're accusing the man of being a verve pipe fan okay all right what do you think he listens to what do you think doc ellis listens to he might listen to Verve Pipe, actually. Yeah, see? Right? It's not really – that's not far off. Um, I can see him being into like metal, right? Can, can, can you see him being a metal? But not like good metal though, right? Like just kind of like garbage metal? I, but then again, <laughs> I, can, I can see him being like into rap as well. 
he's a multifaceted man. It's it's hard to know. They sort of do the tongue in cheek, like you know the the the, the like uh, the biz quiz stuff and stuff like that's like mm-hmm. hip hop inspired to shorten words and stick Z's on the end of them. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I I don't know if like that's just tongue in cheek and ironic. I don't know. The point is, he probably does have CDs. And my point is, this isn't just like a boyfriend-girlfriend sort of thing where it's easy. I think they're married. I'm almost positive they're legitimately married. And this is just – it's a bizarre situation. And, and why if, – if, if you broke up with your boyfriend, why drag Dana Brooke into it and talk shit on her? That's the other thing. Like that's kind of low class, right? So that makes you think Dana Brooke does have something to do with it. But it's it bizarre. The whole thing is. We will we will keep an eye on it, and we will update you every single week as we uh, as we learn new stuff. So, but we're we're watching, we're following. Are we really she going follows, to though? Is that really? Uh, no, not at all. I mean, um, she maybe, does follow us. She follows us. We follow her. So, uh, we'll our people will talk to her people, and we'll we'll, we'll see if we can get to the bottom of this. Why don't we just do that? Why don't we just ask her? We should just yeah. We should just ask her. Um, so, is your man banging Dana Brooke or what? Because if this is some poorly conceived work, you know, it's it, it's it's it's. You, that's what you're making people think. Yeah, we um, do. We do have a September 11th. Uh, rumors are starting to fly as to just everyone with their opinions that doesn't know the whole story. Maybe keep them to yourself till you do know. But you, they're you're the one. <laughs> no one would be talking about this if you didn't see. I always love that. Kill like, the bitch. I mean, put everything know. on Twitter. Put everything on Twitter. Put everything on Twitter. Let me have my privacy. God damn it! <laughs> Stop. By the way, like, I love that. It's the best. We have breaking news. Uh oh! Is it about Amber O'Neill? I wish it was. Oh, um, and it's not about uh, Doc Gallo's CD collection either. Katsuyori Shibata, Rich. Mm-hmm. He's wrestling Bobby Fish on Saturday. Is he still? He no. He yes. He is wrestling Bobby. Fish okay, he is. Okay. Uh, Shibata confirmed for New Japan Destiny on Saturday. Title match with Fish will go ahead. So he's been yanked from the house shows, but as of now, he, he, at minimum, he's wrestling Fish. Okay. So now th- that's a little more information than we had 10 minutes ago. So okay, there you go. Okay, good. Yeah, because we're going to talk about that, but now we don't have to. So, yeah, so that's good to know that he will be there on Saturday. What happens after that remains to be seen. We'll see. But um, really, no, he's, he's suffering from a spinal injury right now, and it got everybody kind of freaked out a little bit because he got pulled off of the house shows, uh, and they were warning, you know, and then Dave and the Observer um, – he talked about maybe that he would have to vacate the title and that sort of stuff. As far as we know right now, yeah, like you said, you confirmed that he will be working Saturday, but then after that, we don't know. So he might still, it's not like he magically healed. Maybe he's still hurt. We have no idea. We'll find out though. When, um, when you hear spine and you hear, it's not great. And you hear neck and then you hear removed from shows, that's never good. So whatever's going on with him, it isn't good. Um, but I, you know, I guess he can, it's enough to where he can gut through one match without. Potentially, I don't know, paralyzing himself, and then I guess they'll go from there. What we really yeah, cervical spine too is is not good either. That's you know compression, and you don't want that. That's that doesn't hold very those well. Aren't good, none of those are good words. No, no, you don't want your spine compressing in on itself. That's that's not great. So I tell you where we need to dig deep and do some journalism, Rich. We get you know who we need to talk to for this Amber Gallows thing. We got the per- we got to talk to that bad boy Casey. I bet you Casey Michaels has the scoop. You're right. Yeah, he probably does. That's the guy. We 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 gotta see what he knows. We're probably we're probably decently connected to actually get to the bottom of this if we really wanted to. Um, for some reason, that subsection of uh, of of the Twitterverse really uh really really follows us, and we we get some dirt from them as well. So yeah, I think we could do this. I think we could probably do that we, if we really wanted we to. Do have so. some uh, inroads we could take here? I think I, I I'm curious to find out. 
I, I like I like some nice uh, I like some scandalous rumors, don't you, Rich? Yeah, we don't have that as much in wrestling anymore. That used to be the big thing back in the day because you know now everybody you know everyone's pretty normal. You know now nobody goes too crazy things. You know Paige is crazy just because she's like dating you know Del Rio, but it used to be crazy back in the day. Like you'd always get that great stuff. And I hope it's uh, the worst work shoot of all time is what I'm hoping. Like she thinks she's gonna get hired like out of she it. She thinks like, that this is some kind of clever you know thing that's yeah. They're yeah. trying to do like an edge like an edge Matt Hardy Lita thing, and it's like all right, like no. Sorry. Hey, uh, Doc Gallo's already threatened to choke us once, so this might not be a road down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forgot. Yeah. That. Um, but you know. Yeah. Well, hey, we got the Carl Anderson follows us. So we can uh, we can maybe DM him and, and figure out. Uh, he thinks it's hilarious that we bang on Doc Gallo's, but yeah. Doc doesn't think he also, it's, he also thinks it's funny when we make fun of Noah too, which is also a funny thing. Like anytime we like, it'll be randomly like you'll just put something about like a funeral home, like like oh Noah looks like a funeral, or like oh my god, like anything. If you do a backhanded comment. To Noah at like two in the morning, Carl Anderson will favorite it, and it's the greatest thing ever. Very strange, yeah. I love it. It's my favorite thing. I, I love waking up to it, and I'm like, "Ooh, what is? Oh, great, perfect." <laughs> like it's like us badmouthing Noah and Carl Anderson being like, "Oh, that's hilarious." <laughs> like you know what I mean? Like yeah, fuck that place. Like I, I just love that. I, I just want to know what goes through his head when he decides. Uh, that's what he wants. Maybe to do, he's but. still bitter over losing the GHC tag title six years ago. <laughs> maybe it is. Yeah, he's like, I ah, hope they die. Like <laughs> it's, you know, who knows. Maybe he felt like he was wronged in that match with uh, with Lord Tensai. <laughs> Remember, we went through a string where we, we we referenced Lord Tensai on like you know sixty straight shows, right? And that's not like even beyond like when he stopped working in WWE. It came, and it came up; it wasn't forced either. It would organically Lord Tensai would sneak into the conversation. I feel like it's been about a year since we even mentioned that name. Yeah, which is, it's quite the shame. But it was like two straight years of shows where he would always somehow come up. Despite the fact there was no reason to talk about him directly, so there you go, another Lord Tensai reference. Speaking of old school voices of wrestling references, <sighs> that's where I was going. But you got it. Go, go I'm ahead. I'm a master at a segue, my friend. I was. Yeah. You know, you know, people really, you know, we've got a uh, three-year-old interview with TJ Perkins that I tweeted out earlier today and can be found on the site quite easily if you just put... Does the link actually work? I checked it, yeah. Oh, okay, so I was going to say, I wasn't sure if that was from the uh, host that we had that decided to delete all of our stuff and it, not tell us. So it might is, be from an old host, but I, I played a bit of it today and it does work. Okay, all right, good. That's, I, I got a little nervous when... I don't know if I they can download that. Look, I don't, I don't get fancy rich. I have no idea if people can download it or whatever the fuck they do. Okay, I'm a click and play guy all right i have it on my we should do we should capitalize on this tj perkins thing i think i have it on my computer i'm gonna download it to the audio boom feed how about that that's a good idea a classic voices of wrestling we'll get like a sweet voiceover guy we we know several yeah so we can get them and they he can do like a the uh we'll go back to the vault and classic and we get our you know rob conway interview i'm looking at him oh, right here God, who do you want? make it cheesy as possible too whoever yeah does it. who do we got here we got a bunch of gabe sapolsky ones those are always good uh, we got one after like, didn't he like that Rudo? What was the Rudo like? It was like a torrent site that he got shut down, and we had him on like that day, and he thought we were just going to talk about that. No, what happened? Well, with Gabe, no, yeah, what yeah, happened right. With Gabe was, and this was our second ever show, by the way. Our second ever show was a Gabe Sapolsky interview. What happened with Gabe was he got invited to go to ROH to accept a lifetime achievement award. Oh, that's right. And he turned it down, and then there was like. Cornette, who was with ROH at the time, fed the story to Meltzer and buried the shit out of Gabe. So then there was like heat between Gabe, Dave, and Cornette. So we said, we were a brand new podcast. We said, this is a great opportunity. Everyone's hearing ROH's side and Cornette's side. 
No one's here in Gabe's side. Let's just fucking email him. Maybe he'll come on our show and we can give him the floor. And he agreed. And we were shocked because this was – it was literally our second show and our first show had six listeners. So he came on a podcast that had six listeners the previous week because we gave him the floor. And, of course, he had DG USA shows coming up. So you know he plugged the fuck out of those too. But he came on the show and we interviewed him and we let him explain his side of that situation, which was kind of a big break for us because I think you know instead of six listeners that week, we did 100 or something. You know what I mean? Which to us was incredible at the time to do 100 listeners or whatever the number was uh, from six. And we thought we were big shots, you know. But yeah, that was the Gabe Sapolsky interview. At least I don't know if he ever came back. I don't think he did. I think that was the only time he came on. But um, that was the backstory behind that. And then uh, we also had uh, Booker T. And then we had, obviously, TJ Perkins a couple years later. Micah. Remember Micah? Micah. <laughs> Who? I forgot. I forgot what his last name was. Tangaloa? Oh, no, was Mike, not- no. We had Mike Taylor. Now, Mike Ta- the Mike Taylor interview, Micah Taylor. It was Micah Johnson, right? Or wasn't it Micah? No, or what was it? No. He goes by Micah Taylor. Oh, Micah Taylor. Micah Taylor. Micah Taylor. Yeah, Micah yeah. Taylor. That is when the uh, Kevin Matthews um, – uh, oh, man. Kevin Matthews and uh, uh, Bill DeMott shit was going on. Remember when Kevin Matthews was talking all that yes, shit? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Micah Taylor was in developmental at the same time as, as Matthews. So – we had him come on to sort of give his side of all that. That was kind of interesting too. That was a good one. Yeah, we were, we were, we were go getters at the beginning, man. The, we, we... Well, the strategy in the beginning was go after newsmakers and get them on the show to bring attention to the show. So that was kind of like the goal there. We tried to get Kevin Matthews, but he wouldn't do it. So we got um, Micah Taylor, who had who had been in developmental at the same time. And then um, I actually ran into him at a show in Houston, in San Antonio, a, a couple months later. And had a, 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 a probably an hour long chat. He's the nicest guy. I mean, he's just he's just a really nice guy, and and he remembered us, and and we had a, a great talk. And he actually was sharing a car with a wrestler that everyone listens to this is very a former WWF wrestler who he was sharing the car with that night, who didn't work on the show, but he was just happened to be traveling with. And the guy was the biggest fucking dick I ever met in red. Look, I don't know a ton of people in wrestling. Of all the people I've ever met in wrestling, this guy. <laughs> Well, you know who it is. You know who I'm talking about. I do, yeah. He was a complete yeah. asshole, and I have no idea why. Like, It's like he was being aloof the entire night and didn't want to be bothered, and I get it. But I didn't bother the guy. Micah Taylor introduced me to him. He said, oh, hey, hey, Joe, this is my friend so-and-so. I didn't approach this man. I had no interest in talking to this guy. Rich, you know me. Do I approach Rev? Yeah, oh yeah, never. Yeah, except Cody Rhodes. Except for you. Except for the time that you and me, uh, you and me, got together at a restaurant and said, "Oh my God, that's Cody Rhodes." You know, we our frequent dinner dates that we always have, and we said, "Oh my God, that's Cody Rhodes." Let's interrupt him in his meal. And you and I went up to him and interrupted him during the meal. Of course, other than that time, never again have yeah, you ever really that. approached a guy. Yes, except for the time during one of our frequent dinner dates that we meet always. You know, and, and we we meet halfway, so somewhere between uh, Chicago and College Station. Yes, it was uh, Mahan, Nebraska. And- <laughs> I was going to say I don't know where. I, like sometimes it's it's you know uh, somewhere deep like Columbia, Missouri, and then sometimes it's Omaha. But we try to at least once a, you know once every month meet up there and, and, I can't and get some dinner. I remember, and- Rich. It was we were at the the Hogstop Barbecue in Mahan, Nebraska. <laughs> And and Cody Rhodes happened to be there, and we said, "Boy, let's go get an. In- we got to get an autograph right. for this enormous star." 
and his hands were just slathered in barbecue sauce, and, he, and his face was covered. He was wearing a bib. Uh, he had that wife of his with him. She was digging into the ribs. And, you know, we asked him for – and we were very rude, and we asked while he was eating, and he turned us down. And now he's been, he's been telling that story on big-time big podcasts like Aubrey Sitterson's shit show ever since. So, you know, he's going around burying us because we asked him for an autograph while he was at the Hogstop Barbecue. What can we yeah. do, Rich? But anyway, you know damn well the guy in question I would have never approached. I don't give two shits. Yeah, absolutely no. Person. God, no, yeah. Um, he just – there's a guy – there was other people. Monty Brown was at that show uh, showing off his uh, Super Bowl ring, which, which Takaake Kadani was enamored with. Takaaki, <laughs> this show was bizarre. All these people were really there. I'm not making this up. So uh, the president of New Japan, Takaaki Kadani, who I took a mark pick with and sent to you. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. But I great. took it like ironically. I took like an ironic – because you know I don't do the mark pick. So I took an ironic picture with Kadani and he looked like it, the last thing he wanted to do was take <laughs> – Yeah, he looked like he wanted to kill you <laughs> and ever Like he was just waiting for his plane to like – And do you remember who took the picture, Rich? This is such a – this is a wild night in hindsight. Oh man, who took that picture? Sho Funaki took the That's picture. right. I knew it was Funaki. Yeah, I was I, I for some reason I had Yoshitatsu in my head and I was like, why the hell would Yoshitatsu be there? No, Sho Funaki, of so, course, yes. This sounds like I'm making all this up, but I swear to god I'm not. So Sho Funaki takes the picture of me and Kadani. Kadani gets back to Monty Brown, enamored with Monty Brown's Super Bowl ring. I mean, he just can't. He's just fawning over the thing while he's sending his handler off to get him more Cokes. This man drank about 15 cans of Coke. During this round, I've never seen someone consume so much coke. Okay, okay the drink. Not, not. I'm not starting rumors here. <laughs> he, wasn't, he wasn't doing coke. He was drinking coke. So anyway, and he had a New Japan tie on. Very nice New Japan tie. But anyway, so this man, I never would have approached him. So uh, Mike Taylor introduced me. He says, "Oh, by the way, this is my friend so and so. This is Joe Lanza. He he does a podcast." And the guy was just so. And I and I put out my hand and I and I I said, "Nice to meet you, gimmick name." Right, I called him by his gimmick name because I'm not going to be rude. I'm not going to call a guy by his fucking. Because you never know, and we've talked about that before. Like guys are so ridiculous. Like it's case by case. Like one guy wants you to call him this, the other guy wants you to call him that. Another guy prefers you just don't talk to him. You know what I mean? Like you can't win. No matter if you would have called him by his his shoot name, he would have said, "Oh, you fucking Mark." You know what I mean? Like you wouldn't have won. No matter what you said, whatever word came out of your mouth next, you were screwed. This person, I wasn't going to win, and especially with his attitude. So I just called him by his – because I'm a fan. The respectful thing is just call him by his, his, his gimmick. And in fact, Mike Taylor said this is – and he used the gimmick name. So I don't right. have free reign to call this man by his name. So anyway, I shake his hand and say, nice to meet you, gimmick name. And he looks up at me. He ignores my hand and he looks at me and he goes, I prefer to go by – and then he said his real name. Insert shoot name, yeah. And then he went right back down to his phone and I'm like – this guy, I looked at Taylor. Taylor looks at me, and he looked embarrassed. He was like, I, I don't know, like making that face like I don't, I don't know what his problem is. So that was the and, – and, and, and honest to God, that's, that's the only awful interaction I've had with a wrestler in my entire life. But, uh, you know, the little story there. It's kind of a shitty story because people want to know who it is now, and they're all going to be mad at us. No, yeah, but, but that's all right. But I, obviously, for obvious reasons, I can't fucking – but that was some night. You got Monty Brown. I feel like in a deep cut when nobody was listening, we did say who it was. I think we but, did too. Uh, so, yeah, we, but, <laughs> but not anymore. Listen, I don't know if we're allowed to anymore. But. I think we said it without saying it. I think yeah, it gave yeah. away a distinguishing uh, characteristic of the fella. But uh, yeah, so that's uh, – I don't even know how we got on that, but um, – that was a wild. That was a wild night, in San Antonio, my friend. Do you know who Baron um, is? We have an interview. I just. It's just titled Baron. Baron. Yeah, it's not Darren Corbin because I have a Darren Corbin interview, that's and then I have some Darren. That was. Darren Corbin. That was a good time. 
Baron? Because I see this one. It's something called someone called Baron. It's in between. So we have Christopher Daniels, somebody called Oliver. I don't know who. Oh, Brandon Oliver, of course, Brandon Oliver. Brandon Oliver. Uh, yeah. And then somebody called Baron, and then Bolt Brady. So somewhere who I don't know who this Baron is in between. Baron? Do we like do we like interview Baron von Raschke and not know it or we like interview Baron von Raschke? I don't know who that is. I've been the entire time you were doing that story. I was trying to figure out who Baron was. Did you mistitle I, it? I maybe. I'm gonna. I'll, I'll listen to it afterwards and see. Uh, maybe it was Baron Dax. Maybe we we <laughs> maybe I renamed our Marcus Luis interview uh, for Baron Dax, and that's what it's 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 kind of familiar. Someone named Baron, but I can't. Maybe we got in on the ground floor on Baron Corbin, and we didn't even know it. I don't think so. Baron. I thought it was maybe a su- submission squad guy because remember there was a while there where we were interviewing all the submission squad guys. We got them all nah. except for Davey Vega. We had yeah. we had Pierre Abernathy like three or four times. Um, you actually did a solo with him when I was remember when I was stuck in Vegas for like four days. Yes, yeah. Uh, you, which wasn't the worst place to be trapped, but really it is because then you don't have any money. You know, like you can't do anything but spend money. But he came on three or four times. We had Gary J and uh, also. Uh, Evangelistico, but we never we never completed it. We never had Vega. No. Um, who the fuck is Baron? Oh, Jocks Baron. I know. Jocks no, Baron. Baron. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. Resistance Pro. Resistance Pro. Yep. Booker and who wanted to come back on and trash Billy Corgan a couple months yes. ago? Yes, and, and he, he just disappeared. I think he got. I think uh, I think Billy might have gotten him knocked down or something. I don't know. <laughs> I think so because he got an interview. He was like, "I want to do this." And we're like, "Cool." When do you want to do it? He's he, like, "As soon as possible." We're like, "All right, let's do it." And then I never heard from him. And again. he like, came to us. It was right. when Corgan bought into TNA, and mm-hmm. he came to us all fired up. And he's t- what? How, how did the kids say it, Rich? He slid into the DMs. Okay, he did. He definitely and, slid into us. And he was all yeah. fired up. And he said, "I want to come back on the show." And we're like, "What? This guy?" We're like, "Why?" He's like, "I want to talk about Billy Corgan." We're like, "Oh, this guy's oh, yeah. like, like, <laughs> named." I believe you said just time and place. Let's get it done. This will be. It was in the news. We hadn't done an interview in years, but that would have been. A, we definitely would have done that. It would have been a good spot. But then he just disappeared. I think Billy sent his. I don't even think he tweets. He doesn't even tweet anymore. I don't think so. I just lost him. And I think like a week later, I was like, "Hey, are we still on?" And never heard again. Never so, yeah, heard him again. The man has just dropped off the planet. They don't do shows anymore either, right? Uh, they do, but I don't know whether I don't know what his involvement is in it uh, anymore. So it's, it's a little bit interesting. I, I think he's still involved in it, but not to the same level that they did. Yeah, they're 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 much lower on the totem pole than they were uh, when so they were being very low level. Yeah, yeah, at this point. They had a television show at that time and all that. They did, yeah, yeah. They they were doing really well. They were uh, running huge venues. They were running 115 Bourbon Street, which AEW is running uh, right now and selling out. But yeah, they were running that. They were, they were, yeah, they had a TV show. They were getting some decent. I mean, they still do okay in this area, but they they work like, they're they're basically an indie now at this point. They run like park districts and, and stuff like that, so. Point is, we got a great TJ Perkins interview yes. from 2013. Actually, no, this really is a great interview, though. I, I think it was the best interview we ever did um, because he was open. He was uh, very gracious with us. He gave us an hour and a half, and he would have went even longer if we could have. We couldn't go any longer. He would have went all night, and uh, he was very open, very honest. It's a great interview, a lot of good insight. Everything from working in Mexico as a literal child to sneaking out of school to go to wrestling bookings uh, to what it was like in the New Japan Dojo with Samoa Joe and 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 all of those uh, Pride fighters who were you know they were sparring with and training with, working WWE dark matches, uh, his problems that he had with TN- with ROH at the time and with Gabe Sapolsky at the time, uh, uh, his his uh, he was uh, his, talking about uh, his history with TNA Wrestling Society mm-hmm. X. We really went through the whole thing, and it was it was it was it was really uh, tremendously insightful. 
a very good interview and obviously very topical now. Uh, Rich is going to put it on the podcast feed, um, but you can find it easily on the site. Just type TJ Perkins into the search box. It was some, it's the first thing that comes up. It does yeah. work. I don't know. You know, it's three years old, but the, the file does work. It's also on our YouTube page. So if oh yeah, see, I remember we did put that on there. Yeah, so it's pretty easy to find as well. If you do voice wrestling, uh, and then TJ Perkins, it should come up as well. But I will put that on the podcast feed uh, probably probably tomorrow uh, at some point, just so people uh, can get this feed. And then yeah, if, if you're listening to this, uh, check it out. We will, probably will have it on the the feed not that long afterwards. So right. So he is the WWE cruiserweight champion is that what they're calling it yeah that's he is yeah we, I, I'm, I'm not sure what the lineage is you uh, uh wikipedia rather uh is saying that it's the same cruiserweight championship that you know dates back to wcw i have no idea if they're gonna start uh, as like a new thing i doubt that they are to but, me you know, that's that, not where do you stand on that to me that's not the same lineage it's not no i agree yeah this I, is I a brand new title it. with the same name in my opinion I agree. I'm with you. Yeah, I, I feel silly being like, yeah, you know, Ultimo Dragon and Medusa and TJ Perkins all own, you know, the the Cruiserweight chain. You know what I mean? Like, that's just it, it's so weird. Yeah, I don't I don't really buy that either. So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a it's a it's a brand new start um, with just the same name. The belt is purple. It's not blue. I keep seeing people saying it's blue and they're questioning why there's a blue belt on the red show. It's purple and I believe it's purple. There's two different theories. One is that it's a it's purple because it's blue and red combined and maybe but see I think the answer is much simpler. It's just that the Cruiserweight color is purple. The, was blue, yeah, I think yeah, the, the Cruiserweight Classic was all branded purple and they just think they said, "Oh, well, that's the logo, so let's make it this." Yeah, I I, I didn't read into the red blue thing. I was just kind of found it funny that it wasn't red because they were going with that for so long as like so that maybe that leads a little credence to people saying, "Oh, well, what about the, you know, what about the it being on both brands or all that stuff? Because if it was, it would make sense that it'd be red if it was a raw exclusive title. The fact that it's purple, I mean, yeah, again, you can read into it more. I, I think it's just kind of the logo color, but who, who knows? But um, regardless, yes, we have a new cruiserweight champion, and let's talk a little bit about this cruiserweight classic finale that uh, happened yesterday. I went live on YouTube with Jeff Hawkins immediately following the show. Uh, talked about it. We did a review on VoiceWrestling.com as well. Uh, Joe, we haven't heard your thoughts yet, though. What did you think of this show? Uh, top to bottom. First of all, the highlight of the reaction show was Jeff Hawkins' mic going out and <laughs> and Rich making weird faces as he could hear Jeff, but no one else could. And it was just the the, the it was just it, it was just the epitome of professionalism. And I can't wait for our new Dollar Shave Club overlords to take a look at that because uh, that'll because I don't do the hangouts that often. Rob McCarron couldn't do it, so he said, "Hey, can you do this? It'll be a good opportunity." I said, "Yeah, sure, I'll do it for sure." But I get in there and like I don't know what like I still don't know what I'm doing with that screen or whatever. And like I'm kind of getting an idea of it. I thought I hit something wrong. I thought I hit mute on my laptop. I thought maybe I hit the wrong button. I'm searching for what button I hit, trying to figure out what the hell's going on because Jeff's going on. He's probably ranting about something very important, and I'm like, oh no, oh no, oh no. And everyone's watching and listening, and they could see with a look. On my face, it was very, it was very. Uh, I, I was, I was mortified by Man, that. You really so. left him hang out the dry. You let him talk for a good three or four minutes <laughs> to nobody in particular. Because I wasn't sure. I thought it was at first. I was playing with my headphones. I yeah. thought it was just my headphones. I couldn't hear it. And then, like, I, I was waiting for the chat, and nobody was saying anything in the chat. And I'm like, oh god, it is only me. I'm like, what did I do that I can't hear him now? And then people were like, no audio, no audio, no audio. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> like, yeah. Hilarious. So I'm an idiot. Is the uh, the the conclusion that we can come here? So I thought the. Uh the Cruiserweight Classic live finale was one of the best shows that this company has ever put on because what you had was four match. Look, I'm glad they kept it the format. They very easily could have done the two semifinals, the final, and then did like three six-minute typical rushed 
cruiserweight flippy matches to fill the time, but they didn't do that. They added one tag match with Gargano and Ciampa against uh, Noam Dar and Cedric Alexander. And they gave that time as well. So what you had is a two-hour show with four matches where everything had give or take about, what, 15 to 20 minutes in the ring. Yeah, I mean, every match. So the, the opener was 13. The, the second one was about 15. The tag match was nearly 10. And then the, the final course was almost 20. So, yeah, everything got, like, decent time. Like, the lowest is, is 949. And that, that's not bad for a WWE show. I mean, that's crazy. Right. See, they, they, they didn't try to shoehorn every, all 32 guys on there and stick them in a bunch of six-mans. Or like a stupid battle royal. I was wondering if we were gonna get one of those where it's just like everybody gets in there and they just toss them all out of the ring. You know, I was almost wondering if we were gonna get that, like a weird battle royal or something, but I was I was good I'm glad we didn't. No, so. and, and and because of that, what you had was I don't think has there ever been a WWE show where they batted a thousand. I mean, these were four matches and they were four great matches. I mean, it's look, it was only you only have four matches, so you have less chances to fail. But if you're gonna have a four match show, it also means if if a couple of them don't deliver, you got yourself a pretty awful show. So it works kind of both ways uh, from that perspective. Um, everything delivered, and it was such a good show from start to finish that I was thinking about it. I, at least from an in-ring perspective, I don't think they've ever had a show this good. Yeah, and people were mentioning that. We had a, 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 a thread on our forums, voicewrestling.com slash forums, that said, is this the best thing that uh, you know, WWE's ever done or whatever? And it was like – and people kind of took that question however they wanted. They could say, oh, no, the cruise, no, it, it, this thinking of the whole tournament. But I think some people were taking that question as this show, was it like the best top-to-bottom WWE show that you've ever seen or that we've ever seen? And like, of course, there's contenders. Like, there, you know, WrestleMania 17 is one that always gets brought up and a few other ones. Well, a lot of WrestleMania 22. Yeah, and the, of course the takeovers. I would say the only real contender, because I've been on that WrestleMania 17, there's some skippable stuff. I mean, not much. Most of that show is pretty good, so that'd probably be my pick and probably would be my pick forever, is because I really just think that show top to bottom is great. And then the takeovers are solid, but even the takeovers, you have like maybe one match that's not so great. This was every one of these matches. All four of these were just emotion-filled, fast action. You, you know, you were invested in these guys. At least we were, and I know a lot of people that follow us and, 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 and do stuff with us, we're, we're invested in every single moment every single victory who's going to move on who's going to do what so when you think about it as like a two hour and that two hour flew by like i thought that thing was i, I looked at the clock and i went oh my god it's already you know nine thirty. i can't believe this we're almost done here i was shocked that that thing was only two hours it felt like the easiest to watch WWE programming i have almost ever seen because there was no there was no useless filler i mean everything was good and everything served a purpose i thought everything about the show was good too from the presentation, I thought the crowd was great. The crowd stayed up the entire time and really brought everything up a level. I thought the commentary was great. I thought everything about the show uh, was great. The only minor flub was I really think Triple H coming out seconds before the bell on the final was very eye-rolly, very cringy. I think he could have done that before the match. Before the wrestlers were announced, he could have been out there. The timing was clearly designed to get him a pop, and I just – I have a problem with that. He constantly has to remind you, I gave you this. I'm, I'm the reason that um, – I think my phone's going off. Did you hear that? I did not, I'll, so you're good. I'll turn you're that okay. off. But uh, you know, so that bothered me a little bit. He came out, and that's when it's he, not the hair. It's not the hairdresser, is it? It's not the hair. I got a haircut the okay. other day. Um. Did not go well. No, yeah. it went all right. It went all right. It, <laughs> okay. it was, right, it right, was right. awkward at first, but uh, we we settled in and and uh, we we had our usual banter session. And she gave me one, okay. and she gave me a tremendous haircut. Let me tell you. Okay, well that's good. That's but uh, but, but uh, so um, 
lost my train of thought. So Triple H, yeah, so he came out with the belt. Now, as I was watching it, I was thinking to myself, and I'd like your thoughts on this because you and Jeff didn't really talk about this. Um, I thought I, – I don't think that the, that the wrestlers were in on that. I didn't – I don't think they knew he was coming out with that belt because they really – if you go back and watch their mannerisms and their facial expressions, particularly Perkins – I mean, you can't, you can't, you can't see Metallic's face. I was going to say it's a little tough to tell. But um, uh, Metallic's, but uh, yeah. And then so. it's interesting because then you know someone DM'd us today and said that that's what they had heard too, like in the aftermath of everything that the wrestlers did not know either that he was coming out or they knew he was coming out, but they didn't know there would be a belt. Some aspects of that were shoot is what I'm getting at. And it really felt like that watching it. Did you get that feel or no? It did. Yeah, it absolutely did. And I, I 100% agree. And I, I, I thought I tweeted it out, but maybe I didn't. That I th- You could tell, you could see on TJ Perkins' face that he kind of had, because these guys are, I mean, like, when, when we say, like, for people that might not have seen it, and I think just about everybody listening has probably seen it, but if not, go back and, and watch this. You will see that the guys are ready to, like, lock up. And, like, you know what I mean? Like, we're talking, like, this isn't like the guys were both in the ring and still kind of just hanging out. Like, it was, like, the music had ended, the intros had done, and then it was like, all right, and oh, boom, now Triple H. Like, oh, they were about they to lock up. They were about to lock so I'm, up. You could tell that they were a little shook at first. Like, Perkins in particular was kind of just like, what's good? Like, they, they did a, a, a pan on his, they cut to him, and you just saw his face. And it wasn't the face of like, oh, yeah, here comes Triple H. You know what I mean? It was like a face of, you could tell it was a face of confusion of like, right. I don't quite know what's going on here. Is this good? Is this bad? I, yeah. Am I getting pedigreed? I, what, what is right. That? Like, I, like you could sense that. And I, I, like, cause that, I don't think that's the reaction that they wanted from those guys. You know what I mean? If they told them, Hey, triple H is going to come out right before you guys lock up. The reaction that they gave is probably not what they would have told them to do. You know what I mean? Like, cause it was very reserved, very like you, you could tell it was a tense moment. Like Perkins looked tense and that's probably not what you wanted in that situation you want Perkins to kind of be but it, it, it did feel like he was kind of taken by surprise I don't know if they thought he was coming out before I don't know like the belt thing I know people had mentioned that I, I don't know I think they because they did sort of announce that that might be a thing um, so I, I, I find it hard to believe that the wrestlers wouldn't know that that would be a part of it but maybe they did I have no idea because it did seem like they were generally surprised by it and that uh, just in general though Triple H coming out and cutting that promo I could tell there was some uneasiness between those wrestlers, and I don't know if that was manufactured, that's what they wanted, or that was genuinely how they felt, because I, I don't know. I, I tend to think that they did not know. I think that's what they wanted. I don't think they were clued in on the belt, and I, and I don't think I, – I think there's a good chance they weren't clued in that his music was going to hit either. I really believe that, but I definitely don't think they were clued in on the belt. He didn't even bring the belt down. They had it like hidden under the ring. Yeah, he like grabbed it from like, oh, hey, you know, he just kind of reached his hand out and some guy Some came handler up and, and showed up yeah, and, right. and like handed off the bag to him with the belt. Um, I, I, I don't I don't think they were made privy to that, which was interesting. And it, to me, you know, I, I kind of see what the idea was to kind of like, you know, um, hype these guys up more right before their match. And and but but, the, but to me, all it did was put a giant fucking spotlight back on Triple H on a night where that really didn't need to happen. I mean, everything was going so great up to that point, And you're all hyped up for these guys to wrestle. And here comes this dipshit. Uh, you know, with his stupid fucking music, uh, you know, taking all the spotlight again, reminding you, I gave you this. It's all about me. It's not about all this great wrestling you just saw and this great tournament that you've been consumed with. It's about me. And that really fucking bugs me. 
and it I, bothered me too. Yeah, I, I really think like, and, and people are bringing it up of, oh, who cares? Like, I think the optics of him coming out before the match would have been perfect. I mean, yeah, I would have kind of eye rolled a little bit, but this was like the most eye roll of eye roll because these guys are ready to go. Like, this match is ready, and the, I think, and you mentioned it on Twitter, I believe that this the show was running on such a great pace. Like everything, there wasn't any downtime. Everything was going, and the momentum was great, and the crowd was hyped. The crowd was ready for this match to start, and then he comes out and he cuts you know five minute promo or whatever, and then goes start. Okay, go start now or whatever. And then it's and like it took the crowd maybe a good five minutes or so to get back up again. Well, you know, he got, his, again. he got his thank you Hunter chant, which is what he came out there for. And, you know, and it's like, here's the thing. They did that thing where they cut to to Daniel Bryan and Morrow and William Regal. Right. And I think that I think I got the timeline right. And they were talking to Regal. And then they, like if they would have cut away from that and then Triple H was already standing in the ring. Sure, exactly. That gives it a completely different tone. And a completely different feel, okay? And that's what I said, because people were like, oh, you don't want him to come out at all. And I said, no, no, no. If he, if he wants to come out, if he thinks that's a big deal for him to come out and that being a big deal, then okay, I get that. But then do it, like, in, like you said, like, Regal goes, all right, let's go to the ring, and Triple H is there to a, a, with a big announcement. Or he could have done it at the beginning of the show, or he could have done it, you know, before. Like, there was many times where he could have done it. Many times where you're not stealing the spotlight, okay? That's my issue. And he could have been in the ring already and been there for the introductions of the wrestlers. And then when the wrestlers come in for their – they could shake his hand. You know what I mean? You could do it in a way where you're not – and here's the other thing. No, he doesn't have to be out there at all. Why does he have to be out there? Yeah, I I agree. (laughs) For the record, I do absolutely agree. Why does Triple H have to be out there at some point and show his face? That that show would have done just fine and accomplished exactly what it was seeking. Why can't William Regal hand him the belt? Why does Triple H why, – why, please explain this argument to me if you're one of these people that made that argument to Rich. Why, yeah, yeah, I do have a problem. Why does he have to be out there at any point? Why? Explain it to me. Explain to me why it's vital that he comes out there at all. I'd really like to know. William, William Regal is the fucking kayfabe guy who runs the fucking thing. What, what is with the wink-wink shit? You have someone in that role already. What do you need him for? Go sit in your grill position, watch your little monitor, and do your fucking job. You don't have to come out there at all. And take your little Instagram photo afterwards. We know you're waiting. You got the phone ready. You're, you're ready to go. It's fine. You can do that. But, yeah, it's a little. He didn't have to uh, come out there and suck all the fucking attention from Cedric Alexander three weeks ago either. He doesn't have to come out. I mean, come on. He doesn't have to ever show his face. I'm co- okay, you just talked about WrestleMania 17. Or, like, uh, after Savage Steamboat, did Vince McMahon strut down to the ring to shake the <laughs> right. hands? Okay, you, you don't have to do it. Why does he have to show his face? Why? You were going to bring up 17, but Vince McMahon did literally did, inject himself into the main I, event I, there. But, you caught right, yeah. I had Yeah, but yeah, he's yeah. a fucking character on the show. That's a little different. <laughs> right. But you, you see, like, Triple H is not a character on this show. Okay? William Regal is the character on the show. Trip, R- William Regal is Triple H on the show. He comes out there to get his fucking chance to steal attention. He doesn't have to come out ever. I don't know. That's the only thing I didn't like. Um, I wasn't planning on ranting like a maniac about it, but I got fired up there because people defending that, I don't know what the fuck they're thinking. But as far as the show itself, I do think it was, if it wasn't the best in-ring show that the company has ever done, it's certainly in the conversation. And I think it would be in, I, I would say, with some takeovers. It depends what you value. What do you value? Do you value the big show atmosphere? You might go with something like a WrestleMania 17 or a, uh, or a Canadian Stampede show. That's another mm-hmm. great show uh, you know, that, that, that they've done. Or maybe, um, 
maybe if you value just something that's a, a that's surreal, you go with a one night stand. Oh five, right? The first one night stand, which was a, a. I watched that last weekend. What a, what an amazing show! It's just so, it's just so like the it's not great. Like the wrestling isn't, but it's just like such a great like that crowd's just the best. It, it's so because we were done with that Money in the Bank, uh, and and then we watched CM Punk die in the ring we uh we are the, the octagon or whatever we uh my, i was at my buddies and i said you, you know have you ever watched that one night stand and he said no and i said okay let's let's sit down and watch it because that's like the next best crowd i think i've ever seen in my life and it's just such it's such a surreal show like you said i think it's the best word to describe it right it's you know it, it, it and again it's like it depends on what you value because that's not a great in-ring show it's a good in-ring show but it's not a show where you'd say it's a great in-ring show wrestlemania 17 of course was great because it was sort of the culmination of an era and and it was the biggest show they ever did to that point it was such a spectacle and it had great wrestling too Canadian Stampede I think is the, a good comparison to this show because it was a great bell to bell show all the way through with tremendous crowd heat which is what you got here and, and I think the takeovers are good comparisons for this but again with the takeovers Rich sometimes you get main events that are good but a little disappointing sometimes with the takeovers there's mid card matches that we conveniently forget about that are fucking terrible on somebody's take and not all of them some of the takeovers are really good all the way through but you you know you go back and look at some of those takeover cards and you'll be surprised when you see you know Marky you know fucking Laforte or whatever with the fucking against Enzo in a fucking head shaving match or whatever the fuck that was there's always they always throw in a couple stinkers in there too with the especially the earlier takeovers okay now the takeovers this year have been tremendous and I think they're on the level of this Cruiserweight show uh, but it's in the conversation now the Cruiserweight classic as a whole is this the best thing that WWE has ever done? I say – now, this was – got to give credit. Larry's the one who started this thread, um, it, it, you know, and it was his idea. But the fact of the matter is when you take – when you're talking about fans like us and, and the kinds of people who listen to our show, I think you can make the argument that this is the best thing the company has ever done because start to finish this tournament was exactly what we want. And that's a point that you've been making for two days, mm-hmm. so I'm going to let you make that point now. Yeah, you know, so it, it, and I, I tweeted out, I put it in the review, and I, I put it even on the forums as well. Is that, and I mentioned it even on this, this YouTube show because I really just truly believe this. That this cruiserweight classic was exactly what I want out of pro wrestling, and I think a lot of people had this revelation when it was all said and done as well. And and, and particularly in my case, it's like everything that I want out of a pro wrestling tournament company, whatever the hell you want to say, is it, it was was encapsulated in this tournament. Is there wasn't bullshit. Everything was determined in the ring. Everybody just wanted to win, and everything was dictated on wins and losses. Every character was built off their real life persona, and it wasn't some over the top thing to make these characters. It was, you know, sit down for a minute and tell us your life story. The end. There you go. Play these quick little promo videos, and everybody's relatable then. And that's one of the things that I really loved about this tournament is that you could find somebody that you liked, and you could, they didn't hit you over the head with, this guy is this character, and you should like him, and this guy's this. They kind of said, here's all these guys, and decide who you want. You like Rich Swan, and you like his story? Cool. Go with Rich Swan. You like Brian Kendrick's story of redemption, and like the, the guy that had it all and ruined it? You know, go with him then. You want the, you know, young upstart or the cocky guy. Okay, then you got TJ. You know what I mean? Like every guy had a. There was a character and a person and a personality and a and a and an archetype of almost every single thing that you want out of this tournament. And it wasn't manufactured either because these are just legitimately these guys' lives. And I just love that. That it's it's just let these guys sit down, tell you their life story, and then package it in a way that that makes it compelling. And they absolutely did that. So again, it was no bullshit. Everything was determined by wins and losses. Uh, characters are relatable, real life, rooted in reality type guys, and then fast paced action as well, where it just was. 
there wasn't a lot of slow stuff. And there was, yes, there was ground game, there was submission work, but nothing was worked at a, you know, what I would consider a boring WWE pace. Like, I, I, there's nothing more than I hate than the headlock for a headlock, the side headlock just to do it because you're a heel. That stuff I can't stand. This, you know, you were able to get submissions in. You were able to build up uh, guys working over a leg, guys built, working over an arm, guys working over body parts, but done it in, in, a, in a relatively quick manner. And that's exactly what I want out of wrestling. So everything that was in there, everything that was in this tournament when it was over, it was 100% exactly what I want out of my pro wrestling. What they were very intelligent about uh, Triple H and whoever else put this together, what they were very intelligent about is they let these indie wrestlers come in, right? For the most part, these are all indie wrestlers. They let these indie wrestlers come in and work an indie-style tournament. They didn't force-feed them into a, a WWE style, okay? Sure, all the dives were done to the same side of the ring. Okay, we get the production. There were certain production things that you can't change. But in terms of the psychology of the matches, the way the matches were worked, the pace that you had just talked about, this was an indie style tournament. TJ Perkins was doing callback spots to other matches earlier in the tournament, which is the kind of stuff you see in a bola or, you know, pick your favorite indie tournament of choice before I get in trouble for snubbing something again, which always seems to happen. But the point is it was worked like an indie tournament uh, and it was worked and the, and the, and the pacing of the matches were indie style. Like you were saying, these were not anything like the matches that you see on a raw or a SmackDown. They had their, or even NXT for that matter. These matches had their own distinctive flavor and their own distinctive style. And these guys were allowed to do what they do best. And that's why it worked. And that's why it ended up being great. The wrestling in this tournament, the floor on this tournament was good. The first round was good. The matches were just short because they, you know, because of time constraints. But for six, seven, eight minute matches, they were good. Anything that didn't have ho ho one was good. Everything beyond the first round, for the most part, and, and, you know, people can differ here or there on certain matches, but I think it's everything after the first round, Rich, was great. I've never yeah, seen oh yeah, anything yeah. like it in my life. And even those first round ones, even though they were kind of, you know, you had your weird, like, the Mac and those things, like, they were kept so short and so compact that, like, nothing was really bad except for, like you said, the Ho-Ho-1 one was basically the only bad match, I would say. Even the ones where you could tell the one guy was just completely out of his league, it was over and done within, you know, five minutes. So it didn't matter that much. Right. And, and so what we ended up with was a tournament start to finish for, you know, a bracket style tournament. Um, I've really been racking my brain. I don't think anything's ever been better than this in terms of a a bracket style tournament. It's been better than any tournament this year. Um, now to compare it to the G1, that's real tough because the G1 of course is a block style tournament, uh, with the round Robin. And I think looking at my notes, the G1, had more great matches, but it also had more opportunities to have great matches because every night you've got five matches. Uh, whereas with this, what do you have? 31 matches, right? There's 32 guys in the tournament, so there's 31 yeah, yeah, matches. Right, right. So um, the G1, there's, you know, they're done with 30 matches in the first, what, uh, um, if there's five matches a night, so uh, what, by the eighth night, you've got 30 matches, right? right? So it's eight, you know, am I failing at math again here? Uh, I would feel just as bad, so I'm going to let you fail. Uh, <laughs> 
through the seventh night, you've already have more matches in the G1 uh, than you do in this tournament, and then you're not even close to the, you're hitting Sumo Hall yet. You see what I'm saying? So there's more opportunity in the G1 to have now. Matches. Now you got me wondering if this thing was like G1 style. <laughs> it's just like Tazawa. No, versus but you know what? I wouldn't want like, that. Yeah, because like, the way this no, was yeah, I perfect. like this. I like this a lot better. Yeah, because then I, wins and losses mattered a little bit more in this. Whereas like wins and losses in the G1, which again, you know, of course, we still like the G1, but wins and losses in the end, like you're kind of looking at the long game of it of like oh well he lost this match doesn't this one you couldn't like guys again it's a tournament so i mean i'm not breaking any news here but you couldn't lose like that was it you know so that made every match seem important you had to watch you had to see what was going to happen and the crowd was extra invested in it well because they knew that if their guy loses he's done brian kendrick losing to abushi that's it for him that's the end of the road he's gone you're never going to see him again so there's a little added thing in there too and i think i like this idea too that these guys you know when you get tournaments of roster members maybe you lose that a little bit because there's not really yeah okay cesaro's not going to win the title anymore and he's out of the tournament okay whatever but this was like legitimately like oh you like brian kendrick well he lost you might not ever see him again like of course we know that he's going to be on raw or whatever but there was that aspect of it where people might you know you don't know that these guys are coming back rich swan loses and you might go oh geez like that's the end of rich swan i guess okay like that's it you know there's a lot of of layers here is what you're saying especially especially for a knockout tournament i mean this is basically the ncaa tournament it's do right tajiri oh you like him he's gone see you bye (laughs) like you know what i mean like that's the end of tajiri have fun you know what was interesting about it too is as the tournament moved along i think they booked it on the fly in this in the in the sense that it it was almost like i made this comparison on twitter it's like you saw guys get knocked out of the tournament as it became obvious the company wasn't going to sign them and it felt like mob hits didn't it feel like a mob hit every time it did yeah i I felt like the quarterfinals uh, the quarterfinals i think they probably had those guys all set up because anybody could basically guess those guys it was tozawa metallic uh, Saber, Noam Dar. I guess Noam Dar was kind of an upset, but I guess, no, no, he made sense. I think we both called him yeah, yeah. getting there. Kendrick, Abushi, Perkins, Swan. Like that makes sense. Is that would have been the corner finals? And then I believe from that on, they completely booked on a fly for those. Based you know what I mean? Who they locked up, and and yeah. especially the final night. Um, and and I think they kept guys alive who they were interested in in signing. And it's, and then when they realized guys weren't going to sign, they knocked them out. They were like, is it, this tournament was like a series of mob hits. It really was because the first round they got rid of all the guys that they. They weren't interested in from the camp. You know, they probably had this week-long camp and said, all right, here's the 16 guys that were just not interested in. We're going to knock them all out very quickly. And, and so those guys, you know, all got whacked in the first round. And then from there, it was just, okay, we're negotiating with people. We're deciding who we're going to sign. We're, we're, you know, we're, they offered contracts to, to certain people who then declined, and those people just slowly continued to get knocked out. So there was that whole extra layer to this thing, which also made it all the more fascinating. So you're absolutely right. It was fascinating to watch and see, uh, you know, who's going to stick with the company, who's not. And, you know, I think this tournament compared to G1, this tournament hit on a much higher percentage of its matches delivering than the G1 did. But I think the G1 just due, due to the sheer volume had more great matches, but it, it had three times as many matches. So of course it had more opportunity and I do think that those the 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 the, the three five the, the once the G one got to the sumo hall, I did think those matches were higher end than the matches we saw last night. And I you know the two uh, Kenny Omega matches and um, and the uh, the draw the Tanahashi Okada draw, those three matches were higher end than the matches we saw last night. And and, and the matches we saw last night I thought were phenomenal. I thought they were even better than you did, and you loved them. So uh, that's not a slight at those matches at all. So both had their strengths. I, I don't know if you put a gun to my head, which I would tell you I would enjoy more. I'd probably go with Cruiserweight Classic from the perspective of it, it was not the grind that the G – the G1 grind, no matter how good the G1 is, 
the G1 grind is always going to drag That's a real you down thing. a little. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you really do. Here's the thing about the G1. If the G1 wasn't great, everyone would fucking hate it because – or not even – most smart people wouldn't watch. But people like us who have to watch would hate that fucking thing because it's such a grind. This was not a grind, and, and I think it hit at a higher percentage. Um, so, I mean, what do you think in terms of – is this your favorite thing that the company has ever done? What I think I'm gonna what I think is probably best to do is because now reacting to it right away, like part of me wants to say, yeah, it, it's right up there. Here's the thing: just before I, you answer, thing, yeah. the word "thing" is the operative word here. That could be anything, right? A, a tournament, a concept, a creative direction, a show. Yeah, really, you can really take that whatever direction you want. And I think that's the, that's the beauty of that thread that we have, and that's why I love that people were reacting like, "No, you idiots! Like, what are you saying?" And it's like, you know, you can take it however you want and really think about it because, like, yeah, as, as far I as an like interesting answer someone gave was, I think NXT is the greatest thing they ever did. And yeah, that's a thing. Yeah. That's a glaring thing. Mm-hmm. Someone could say, "Oh, the Attitude Era is the greatest thing." I, I would fucking laugh at them, but they can say the Attitude Era, or they can say uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin is the greatest thing that thing could be anything. So I'm, I'm going to leave it open-ended for you. Is this the greatest thing? Is this not the great? Okay. Is this your favorite thing that the company has ever done? I don't know if I can say that right now, but it's, it's certainly up there. I would really have to think about it for a little bit just to kind of get that idea, but it, it's right up there. Cause like I said, this is everything. When it was all done, when that show was over, that two hours was over in that finals, I went, Oh my God, this is everything that I love about wrestling. Like, and WWE did it. And like, it's, it, it, it just, yeah. That, so when it was over, I kind of had that initial feeling. And I'm, that's why I'm glad that so many people kind of had that thread and talked about it and really went to that question, which is a, a, a bizarre question on its face. But like, when you really, really think about it, yeah, it's it's right there. I mean, it, it's it's not wild to say it is. You know, maybe my favorite thing that they've ever done because I just absolutely loved the concept, the the, the execution, the just. It, we mentioned even the first night that it came that I loved the camera shots that they were doing. I was like, oh my god, those are different camera shots than they usually do. I love that. I like the commentary. I love seeing Daniel Bryan in there. was was fantastic. I thought he was such a great asset to the commentary because he wasn't a manufactured announcer. He was just dude that was excited to be watching this stuff. Uh, you talk about the talent roster. I love the idea that they didn't. Just us pick the 32 best you know guys in the in the world or the best indie wrestlers they went and found some hidden guys and kind of made you think about some of these guys and and do some research so i love that i like you know the in-ring was hard to complain with i mean yeah when you look at it like top to bottom in terms of like a two-month period that this thing went on like you know <laughs> like when you phrase it like that it, it might be money compare it to money in the bank 11 uh I didn't have the same emotional connection to this as I did that, so I might be reserved to say that. Mm-hmm. But as far as like more than like beyond one night, if we're talking about you know maybe take it out of context of one night and and maybe thing is how I define it as not a show but you know a night or something like that, then you know it might be if I want to do it not in a night because that that money that I I don't think anything will be able to replace that because that was just an extra set of emotion and everything that followed after that as well. Uh, was impossible for me to ever like compare anything else to that. You know, you know what I mean? It's a little too hard for me. I, but I do know what, about something that's. I do what you mean because I have a pretty like for me that was the one night stand 05. As someone who you know grew up in the ECW arena and went to all those shows, and for that show to come off the way that it did, where as an authentic ECW show for the most part, um, and 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 you know, like you said, with the atmosphere and everything, that, that to me, I could not sleep that night, and. Um, neither could my friends, and we all thought that, oh my god, this was so good that there's no way they can't revive ECW off of it. ECW is going to happen again. 
And remember, this was 05 when that wasn't an eye rolly concept. You know what I mean? That was this was something that we had missed at that time. Um, and 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 I get you. Like this did not have the emotion of that for me. I did not have the emotional connection to it. And I don't think that before the final last night, I would have said that this was my favorite thing WWE ever did. Even though I loved it and watched it every week and thought it was great, um, the final to me put it over the top. And I think. I, I, Speaking right now on September 15th as we record this, I can confidently say this is my favorite thing the company has ever done for all the reasons that you um, have been saying for the last few days. This was wrestling for Joe Lanza. WWE gave me gave, – they created wrestling for me with this tournament. Everything they did from the start, from the preview show, which was um, immediately hooked me and made me go, oh my god, this is something very different. Um, all the way through, and then the, the tremendous final, this was wrestling presented on the biggest stage in the way that I've always wanted it presented. So, mm-hmm. so to me, the answer to that question is yes. This is my favorite thing that they've ever done. Greatest changes things a little bit. You know what I mean? Then people are going to get into, ah, but it didn't draw money. And I, I don't <laughs> want to talk about that right now. No. We talk about that stuff when it's appropriate. But I don't want to talk about drawing money or creating star. I don't want to talk about. I want to talk about when I sit my ass down on the couch to be entertained. This thing from start to finish entertained me more than anything this company has yeah. ever done. I felt I like a kid again during that. the entire yeah, thing. I, did, exactly. like, I, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time, and like I, I even I laughed about it on Twitter. Is that I, I was hitting because I was sitting at my desk and I was like watching it. And I was hitting my hand on my desk so often that my dogs just like left the room. They were like, "We don't know what we're doing." We keep getting it. They, they thought they were getting in trouble that I was getting mad at them because I was so excited to the point where they just said, "No, we're just going to leave." Because like I don't know what we're doing here, but you just you're in a bad mood or something. And I, I was like, because I just I was I was I was out of my mind. I was going. I was on the edge of my seat. I was, yeah. you know, and that doesn't happen often. They're, and it happened almost. They're like the nurse is watching Lifetime and reading the book. We're gonna go sit with her because it's quiet. <laughs> yeah, I, that's never quiet by the nurse. I'll let you know that. It's always a lot louder. So but she doesn't. So she doesn't. She doesn't sit. No. She doesn't sit down and enjoy a Lifetime movie while sipping a Chardonnay and reading the book. She doesn't do that. Uh, maybe the Chardonnay part and maybe the book, but it's much louder while that's all happening. So it's like Chicago Fire. She's a big Chicago Fire fan. So. You ever watch that show? She's the fireman, huh? Mm, yeah, mate. Well, she may or may not have dated one before me, so that's yes. Oh, man, so she's into them firemen. I know she's into the doctor. <laughs> but, you know, she had a doctor and a fireman, and I still, I still emerged. You beat so out a doctor, which is the money, <laughs> right? Which is the money. And you beat out a fireman, which is like the hunk, right? Yeah. And you uh-huh. win. Rich Somehow, Queen, some way. <laughs> the, the cubicle guy. The cubicle guy who watches wrestling yeah. and does 19 different podcasts a week. You somehow won. That's you got great something mystery of our times. Yeah. You got something going on. You must be tremendous at sex. It's got to be it. Uh, no, it's not. No, absolutely not. You must have it a giant be. hog, and you must just lay the wood to that girl like no one has ever done before. That's got to be it. Jeez, and she's had some, a lot of bad sex in her life because I don't think that's it. <laughs> I don't know. I can't compare it, so uh, I don't know. That's true. You weren't there, so you don't know. But uh, yeah, maybe it was. So maybe and, I am. and you never know. You know, pillow talk is always a little deceptive. So who knows? But uh, all right. Now that things have gotten incredibly awkward. Yeah. So now that I'm done with this show today. So see. You. <laughs> no, but no, I, I let's. Yeah, it was it was just top to bottom. An incredible show, an incredible moment. And I felt like a kid again. And, that, and whenever you can do that, you're in a special place for me. 
I mean, that's what I aim to get out of wrestling these days is like make me feel like and I was lost in it, too. Like the the results, like even though I kind of thought I knew who was doing it, it, it didn't matter. I was still invested so much in who won and lost that because I felt again like you have that attachment to the person. And that, and that's something that WWE, the main roster, has lost so much over the years. And I, I we, we rail on it all the time. But they, in this tournament, they made you both root for the wrestler and the person behind that wrestler. You know what I mean? Like you were rooting for uh, TJ Perkins, the person to win that because he's a guy that we've talked to and we have a, a personal connection with because we had him on the show. But then you know what his story is. You know that this guy was you know homeless and, that, and then you can get behind that. You can root for that. I can't root for like this evil dastard. You know what I mean? Like main roster WWE does, has just completely lost that connection. And they had it a few, you know, they had it with Daniel Bryan and, and, and all this sort of stuff. And we don't want to beat that, that dead horse or whatever, but like they know what it is, but they just, that's not how they tell their stories. Whereas this was such the antithesis of how they tell their story. And it worked for me. I don't know if it worked for everybody. Um, you know, somebody actually asked that and maybe I'll ask you that. Um, with this, do you think that this, if, if a casual person just out of nowhere dropped in and watched this Cruiserweight Classic, do you think they'd be, you know, maybe not as invested as you, but relatively so? Like, would they be invested in these characters? Would they want certain guys to win? Would they like those promo videos? Do you think that you could be a casual and drop in and enjoy this? Well, and I don't mean this facetiously, and I'm not being snarky, and I'm not saying this tongue-in-cheek or anything like that, but I don't think Vince McMahon thinks so. I, I, I'm, in fact, I know that he doesn't think so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, it's, it's like I don't know either. To be completely honest with you, I think this might sort of be um, – I, I, here's what I think. I think if, if the mainline WWE had elements of this, it would work, um, especially now. In this place and time, if their mainline shows had elements of this, it would work. But I still think you need the other elements too. I still think you need – the over-the-top wackiness elements too because there are people who enjoy that. A lot of people. But the argument that I've always made is this company is so big and this company it, it has, has reached a point where they can give you everything and they choose not to. I've been screaming for years that now that they have a network, they can give us, and when I say us, it's us, the people listening, the people we're talking to right now. They can give us something to sink our teeth into on this network. They have unlimited hours. And this is what this was. This was finally the show for us. That they always that they had the time and 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 the money and the um and the and the platform to finally give us something, and they did. And I do think elements of it would work on the main roster. And we're gonna find out. Because I think when the cruiserweights move to Raw, it'll it'll be like this in the beginning. I really believe they're going to give it an honest go. The problem is if it doesn't, if a quarter hour drops or Vince McMahon gets bored with it or the wrong people get in his ear and tell him that it's, you know, they've got it, you know, I'm not confident it will stay this way, but I am confident that they will attempt to start it off this way. Okay. Will the club eventually steal their testicle, steal TJ Perkins testicles and carry him around in formaldehyde? You know, my eight ball says, yes, that's going to happen at some point because that's what this company is. And you can't just – they're not just going to – but I I think they'll give it an honest go. I do think though we're in a time and place where this kind of wrestling can work if it was mixed in with the rest of the things that they do. Absolutely. Why wouldn't it? It's human interest. And, And human interest stories always work. And we're in an era where people want real. 
We've yeah. gone on that rant so many times, there's no reason to do it again, but we are in an era where that does work and it does connect with people. All right, let's, uh, you want to break down this card here real quick? Yeah. Um, so we, we've talked kind of macro stuff now. Let's just go match by match here. Uh, so we had the opener, of course, was uh, Grand Metallic versus say this. Uh, I will Yeah, say, oh, sorry, I, go ahead. I, hate, yeah. I know you hate when I do this to you, but I just I think of things. I will say this, though. I think if the, I think if the mainline, main event storylines in WWE were presented in this manner, it would draw more money than what they do now. I do believe Agreed. that. Yep. I think if they got away from authority figures and they got away from over-the-top story. If they're champions and they're ma- you, I, I believe you can do silliness on your undercards. I have no issue with that. I think if the, if the top of the card mainline stuff was presented like this, the company would be better for it and it would, it would draw more money and people – and it would just – it would work on every level. People would take it more seriously. Therefore, they would take your titles more seriously. Therefore, your titles would be in a position to draw money. All of those things. So I do think – that they, they should do this sort of thing at the top of the card, absolutely. Sorry. All right, let's go. No, no, I, and I absolutely agree with that, too. I mean, we look at the history of this company, and, and even in the 80s and that sort of stuff, that, I mean, this is not, like, crazy stuff that we're saying here. It's like, don't have a bunch of authority figures, don't have a bunch of bullshit, like, just have some real stuff here. Let the matches kind of speak for themselves in some way, and yeah, maybe, you know, you know the 80s and 70s or whatever wasn't, you know, this hey, type but, of action. But, but it was that what, sort of stuff. i tell you but, what, though. Uh, what was what was one of, what was the biggest match they've ever done? Uh, you know, I- until until uh, Stone- it was Hulk Hogan's best friend turning on him, right? Because he was jealous and ripping his. Sh- it was just a very simple human interest story that led yeah. to WrestleMania three. So it, 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 you know, even in that era, that stuff. Right, the Gentle Giant was pissed that you know. Hogan was taking all the credit and getting all the credit. You know, got a stupid trophy. You got a stupid trophy. I got a stupid little trophy. What the fuck is this? I'm undefeated. And said, you know what? No, I'm enough of this shit. You can believe that. I can absolutely believe that. And, every, and a lot of people did believe it. Mm-hmm. You know, a yeah, lot of people got, said, the guy got you know what? Advice from Bobby Heenan. Yeah. And, or was it good advice? I mean, <laughs> you can look at it. Even hey, he reached the best part of his career. Yeah. You know, and it, it's like, it, that was just a basic. So, yeah, I mean, it, it can be done. Mm-hmm. It's been done forever. I mean, but then the Attitude Era happened, and now we have this idea that things can never go back, and they can never change, and it has to be this way. It, it doesn't. It wasn't for 30, 40 years. It isn't around the country. It's not you know, around the world. It happens in, in, in a few places now is the way they tell the story. But now it's – the problem is like – and again, then we'll get to the Cruiserweight Classic. Is, and, I, and I see why people think this because there are people – and you, we have to remember this too. There are people that are alive right now and that all they know is this. Yes. You know what I mean? If you were born, so okay, 1998 is what? I, again, I'm terrible at math here. So you know, 1998. What is that? You know, that's 18. So 18 year olds. You have to even go a little bit longer than that and assume that yeah, you weren't you weren't one watching WWE. Right. But let's think about that. Anybody who was born 18, in the 90s, basically, I, right? Like, and even like the early 2000s. Like, you say you started watching wrestling when you were 10 and you were born in 2000. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that. That you know, or, or you you were like you started watching in in 2002. You know, you I could mean, be 23 years old and started watching then, and like, if you were born in 1990, this is all you know. Because right. you were, like, and that's me. Like, really, honestly, if I didn't go and seek out, you know, a big part of me, I started watching wrestling in 1997. Like, that's when I, I watched it a little bit in '94 and a little bit here and there. But like, I really became a 
fan, like what I would consider a super big fan in like 1997. If I had just watched that and never went back and, and was a, a crazed maniac like I was and went back and went to my local video store and every single day went and rented some old WWF tape and watched it all day, like if I wasn't like that, I wouldn't know any better. I would assume this is it. And if I never reached out and saw the independence and I never reached out and watched Japan or what, so I know why people are like, no, what, you know, this, th- th- people are worried about it because this is all they know. This is what they think wrestling is. And the company's, you know, obviously enormously successful. So from, uh, you know, right. when you're sitting in the boardroom, in a creative room or the boardroom or whatever, it's like, it's, it's, it's hard to get away from that formula because you, you see it working and it, it's, it makes, yeah. it makes him sometimes a billionaire and sometimes a little less than a billionaire. And, but I truly believe if they got away from that stuff and they did more of this at the top of their cards, they'd be even more successful. At least for now, times change during the attitude era. That was absolutely the route to go because that's where society was. You know, whether it was South Park, you know how those times were. That, that was yeah, the right course, move yeah. to make at that time. The right move to make now, and, and they may end up getting on, the, on board late, but right now people want what we just saw. I think it would right. work at the top. Yeah, in the 90s, I was all about like poop jokes and, and, and dick jokes yeah, or whatever. It's like and balls and like, yeah. It was extreme. <laughs> Everything was extreme. Everything was quick cuts and Dan ball jokes and, and swearing. And, and, yeah. yeah, so it, that was the way to go. <laughs> All right, let's go to this cruiserweight class now. Grand Metallic, Zack Sabre Jr., the opener. Uh, what do you think of this one? I thought it was kind of interesting, and I don't know if you grabbed this or, or at least noticed this, but it seemed like the two, even though I really like this match, the two seemed to have like major communication issues throughout. And some people thought it was cool that like Metallic was sort of not letting the submissions happen, and people thought that may have been part of the story, is that Metallic was kind of fighting off the submissions. I thought the opposite. I thought they would have had, like, or Sabre had this idea of what he was going to do in the match, and Metallic had this idea what he was going to do in this match, and they just didn't. They, there seemed to be a lot of communication issues throughout, including one point where I believe Sabre yelled, move your arm up, or pick your arm up, or whatever, and then grabbed it and wrenched it back or something. I don't know if, again, like, I don't know if that's what they wanted to tell or whatever, but I noticed that. Did you notice that at all with this match? I did. I didn't think it was as blatant or obvious as you or others did. I thought that um, overall, Metallic in both matches did a tremendous job being completely out of his wheelhouse in a style, in you know, a wrestling style that he was completely unfamiliar with. And I thought he just did a tremendous job in both matches adjusting. Um, I, because some of his early matches, like his first round match, was totally a, a Grand Metallic match. You know, um, against uh, who did he face? Um, oh man, who was his first round opponent? The uh, um, the, the dude was he against Sayas. Sayas, yeah, yeah, Sayas, yeah, Sayas. Yeah, it was, yeah, it yeah. was like a four minute match where they did flips on each other. You know, and 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 you know, but this was a situation where he had to go out there and work eighteen minute matches, and particularly against Zack Saber Jr. against a guy who just Zack Saber Jr. He knows as much about lucha as I do. Okay, so it's like this was a total styles clash. And this was worked more towards Zack Sabre Jr.'s style, for sure. And I thought that Metallic did a great job all night long in really working styles that he, he showed me a lot. And yeah, there were some minor things. I, they didn't bother me as much as they did others. I thought this was a great match. I went four stars on this match. And I think some of the grittiness of it actually helped it. You know what it was sort mm-hmm. of like? It was sort of like that Sasha Banks-Charlotte match if the Sasha Banks Charlotte match didn't fall completely off the rails the way it did, see, I disagree. I th- I like that one. So that we were kind of we'll, we'll agree to disagree because in that one I enjoyed that. In this one, it kind of took away from me. And I guess it's a case by case basis because I'm the exact opposite of you. See, you yeah, you enjoyed the, just the total. The, this thing is off the rails aspect. I like that these guys had some of that, but still kept it together, mm-hmm. and that and that worked for me because it did give it sort of a grittiness where. 
watching the match, I was able to, when I'm suspending my disbelief watching, I was on that end where it was like, oh, Metallic is trying to fight off these holds. It, that's how it came off. Right, me. right, right. And I, and people saw that. I, I guess it's, it's all up to your interpretation. I saw both, and I won't disagree with either. Like, I, I kind of thought that the two were having some trouble uh, communicating, and that's a, but other people say, no, 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 that's an asset. And, like, I could see that. I absolutely can see it, you, you going that way with it versus the other. Yeah, I have no problem if anybody thinks that way because I, I think you're well on your right to think that that's what they were doing, and maybe that's what they were doing for all I know. So I think it's a match that easily could have fallen apart that didn't. Um, and, and I do think that it worked and, um, uh, Zack Sabre Jr. I mean, I thought he was up and down in his tournament. Um, he didn't really, he wasn't one of the standouts, that's for sure. But at the same time, he wasn't the, uh, he didn't completely bomb. He was just kind of there, you know, and, and I've seen him do so much better this year than he did in this tournament, which is weird because he, he wasn't terrible in this tournament, but he's, I mean, you've seen him do much better this year than you've seen him. Yeah, do and there was it, there was a weirdness of this entire tournament for him. I don't know; it just didn't click. I don't know why. Uh, but I had a lot of people that I was saying, "Oh, you're going to love this guy," you know, watch him, and everybody kind of came back with, "Yeah, he's, he's not very good." And I'm like, "No, he is, though." I I don't know; it was a very strange tournament for 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 Saber, and I, I can't put my finger on exactly what it was, or I, I don't know if he just didn't have the right. He just never felt comfortable, and he never felt like he was really, you know, honed in on what he loves to do and how the, the connection that he can make to the crowd. I don't know what it was, but yeah, it just it it. it didn't click, and I, I don't know why. I think early on he realized this wasn't going to be his end game right now, and the motivation levels maybe weren't there. That could have been it too, yeah. Because it seemed, very yeah, early on yeah. we were hearing that the company wasn't interested in him. Then I had heard from someone that he wasn't interested in the company. At any rate, it became obvious he wasn't going to sign. Now, they kept him alive long enough to where uh, you know, if something would have came through, they could have moved him forward, but it didn't, and he lost. And uh, but I did, I did like this match though. I, I liked it, I think, better than most people did. All right, move on now to sorry, I've knocked out. Okay, TJ Perkins, Kotobushi. Of course, this uh, was match of the night for me. Match of the night for pretty much anybody, I think, with a pulse or anybody with a with a brain. I mean, this was just awesome. I mean, I, I, so much in, to love in this match. Um, my big takeaway was. It really honed in on something that we, you know, we talk about a lot, and it's and we talked about it in the interview we did with T.J. Perkins years ago, and we talk about it anytime we do mention T.J. Perkins. This guy can work with anybody, anywhere, any style, any atmosphere, any crowd, and make it work, no matter what. And this was a perfect example, I thought, of, of, of this match with Kotobushi, because you saw every part of T.J. Perkins come out and, and, and emerge in this match because you had the beginning where Ibushi was very flippy and very fast paced and Perkins could do that and then they got kind of striking you know they, they started hitting each other with kicks and chops and stuff and Perkins can do that and then when he needed to Perkins put on the submission game and showed that he could do the ground game but I like the idea that he didn't immediately go to that ground game because he knew that that Sabre had done that before with the match prior so he didn't want to have the exact same style match even though Perkins has had a lot of those style matches throughout this tournament he's been kind of the the more grounded guy the more you know you know ground based mission-based, you know, cruiserweight throughout this, but he was going up, you know, Sabre had just done that. He didn't want to do that in this match. He decided, I'm going to take a little bit of a different route, but he made it work in a way where even though you knew he wasn't doing submissions all the time, that was still his end game. That The end game was still, I'm going to get that lock on you and you're going to tap. And he still did that. And I love that the finish was incredible too, because he gets that leg lock in and Abushi had gotten to the ropes, you know, a, little, a few times prior, and you're wondering, okay, and everyone's on their feet going, okay, what's going to happen here? Is Abushi going to get out of it again? And then Perkins puts that cross face on, just to add another little wrinkle to that move. 
you know, because the, the finisher, and again, I, I know you're going to talk about this too. He's got like stages of it. Like he'll put it in normal and just kind of see what you're going to do. Then if he wants to reel it in, then he'll cross his legs. And like there was a point earlier in the match where he crossed his legs, but Ibushi got right to the ropes right as he did that. And he was like, damn it. All right, I'm going to save that because I'm going to get you with that. And then he gets him with that, but Ibushi gets to the ropes again. And then there's one more time where he gets it on, he locks the legs and he's got Ibushi in the middle of the ring and then goes, you know what? No does the cross face and Ibushi is just sitting there. And, and, and I love this because the camera work was incredible as well. They, they hone in on, or they zoom in on Ibushi's face and you can tell Ibushi has this look of like, I got to find a way out of it. I got to find a way out of this. I can get out of this. I can do it. And then he just, no, I can't. And then he taps. And that's, I love that struggle too. I hate when it's an immediate tap. You know me. I, that's the thing that always erates. It makes me a rate about, or I rate rather about uh, Lucha matches. It's like the immediate tap. This was awesome because he waited and waited and waited. It was like, no, I'm not going to tap out. I can't tap out. I know I can beat this guy. And then he just realizes it's over. I got it. He's better than me. He beat me on this night. And I love it. Just an incredible match. This is what I mean when I say, um, this was worked like an indie style tournament. WWE style would have been all of these men had a finisher. And when they use that finisher, uh, first of all, it would get kicked out of 19 times, but then eventually the finisher is what would win them the match. In other words, for example, this TJ Perkins knee bar, he would put on this knee bar and everyone would just simply tap to the knee bar. Well, by the time they got to the final last night, it's like you just said, he put on the knee bar early in the match. And this was such a key point, not for this match, but it would matter for the next match. He puts the knee bar on Ibushi, and then he crosses the leg, which he hadn't done for the entire tournament. He added that extra element of crossing the leg. Ibushi scrambles to the ropes. Now, you have to store that away if you're watching and you're paying attention for, for the final, okay, because that came in the play. Later on, like you're saying, for the, fi- for the finish, he puts on the knee bar, but here's the thing. Ibushi's not going to give up to that knee bar, okay? The entire story of this, of this match, the entire buildup towards this match was – is TJ Perkins good enough to beat the best wrestler in the world? They were calling Ibushi the best in the world. And the, the, the whole storyline was, can Perkins get by the best in the world? He's the underdog here. He puts him in the knee bar and Ibushi's not going to tap. So he had to go to that fucking, he had to add the chin lock element to it. And you're right, the camera work was so good and he wrenches it in. And then Ibushi's trapped. And he has no choice. And then he taps out. And, and, and the emotion that Perkins showed after he got him to tap. I mean, this guy gets it. He's just a great pro wrestler. We've been saying it forever. On the, our listener, we've been telling you guys forever. He is the most adaptable professional wrestler in the world. Okay? That's not hyperbole. I'm not leaving people out. He is the most adaptable pro wrestler walking the earth. He is. He could do anything. What style can this guy not do? Okay? He trained strong style in the New Japan Dojo. He trained MMA grappling and submissions in the New Japan Dojo. He's been working lucha since he was 14 years old in Mexico. Okay? The guy can fly. The guy can work uh, a sports entertainment style. The last time we really talked about this is when we said when Evolve had switched their, you know, from, you know, their style to more of a grappling sort of style. We said the guy they got to get is TJ Perkins. TJ Perkins would be perfect for Evolve because he could do it all. He could work with everybody. He can work on the holdovers that are still flying around. He can work with the guys like Johnny Gargano. He can work with Ricochet. He can work with the grapple fuck guys because he can work with anybody. And then they, they, you know, Gabe wisely buried the hatchet with him and they put their differences aside and he came back and he's been great. He's been great in Evolve, arguably their best guy, you know, other than maybe Riddle. I mean, who's been better than him? You know, so it's like... You know, he's the most adaptable wrestler on the planet, and you're so right. He worked a Kota Ibushi match and fucking killed it. And then he worked uh, the finals with a Lucha guy, and he fucking killed it because he can work with anyone. And this match, I thought, Rich, this match was a match of the year contender. I thought it was that good. 
I thought it was a, a, a slight notch below the three big G1 matches that closed out Sumo Hall. It was right there, right below those Kenny Omega matches. I really believe it. I thought it was that good. This match is probably yeah. going to show up in my top ten at the end of the year. I think it I might as well it, for me. Yeah. And no one's talking about Ibushi. Let me tell you something about Kota Ibushi. He might have been the best wrestler in this tournament. I mean, he was so good in this thing. I mean, he had three of my top five matches, so I would say, yeah, probably. And this first round match against Matula was excellent for what it was. Okay? So it's like, and, and everything from there was great. I mean, Kota. Yeah, Cedric, Kendrick, Perkins. <laughs> like, I mean, the, that's a run. This might have been the three best matches in the tournament. Yeah, that's a, good, that's a decent run. And he, had, and he had a lot to do with it. I know the story is TJ Perkins today. This is his day. Like, it was Kenny Omega's day a couple weeks ago. This is the TJ Perkins day. Okay? But Kota Ibushi was great in this match, and he was great in the tournament. And in this match, there was a great spot where uh, Perkins hit, I guess, I don't, you know, I'm so bad with the moves. What's the reverse lung blower where, they, where it gets hit on the chest? What do you call that fucking thing? The uh, he, the uh, they kept calling it the Dodon, or the do- Dodon, but I don't think it is. Uh, that's what Mora was calling it, but. It's, it's similar to the Dodon. No, no, not the Dodon. Not when he hit the Dodon. He hit something else. He hit like, um, I, 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 like a reverse lung, but where, where the guy's chest hit your knees. The Dodon is like where the guy's chest hits the mat, right? Where you, you put the guy in like a double chicken wing and fall forward, but whatever. Oh, yeah. Okay. We're, we're terrible. Don't listen to us. Yeah. The, I don't Dodon know. <laughs> is, 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 the Dodon is that someone's been doing the Dodon. I don't remember who, but that's the double chicken wing where they fall forward. That's the Ray Skate to Gucci move. Um, but this is where like the reverse and the bump that go watch the bump and the cell job that Ibushi does for that move. He just flops back and takes this beautiful, just fucking back, flopping bump uh, flat on his back like he's, he's just, it's just, you know, he makes his opponents look like a million bucks. He, you know he's not, he has no regard for his body, so he flies around, he makes the opponent look great, he makes himself look great. The, uh, the moonsault off the post, how gorgeous was that last night, the one that he hit? Oh, so good. I love that move so much. It might have been the best one he ever hit. I mean, the height that he got on it, how graceful he was. Listen. Kota Ibushi is a top-level pro wrestler, maybe one of the 10 best wrestlers in the world, and Perkins might be too. So you put two guys like that in a match on a big stage and you give them time, and there's no you know, fucking sports entertainment bullshit, and you're going to have a great match. I really think this is one of the 10 best matches I've seen so far this year. It'll probably make my list. I love this match. I watched it again last night, and then I watched it again this morning, and I'm not someone who watches matches over and over and over. I liked it that much. I really thought it was a great match. Uh, Jeff Hawkins in our post show had a really uh, interesting note, and I don't know if you read into this as much as he did, but he thought it was interesting that when Kota lost, Marunawa's comment was, Kota Bushi returns to Japan empty-handed. Now, let me tell you something. Maro's a cheeky guy. So that, What do you think about that? that, that, that I didn't notice of, that, but I, I kind of smiled when I thought about that. I went, eh, okay. That's, Maro's that's, the kind of guy where that might not have been. That's a heavy hand. Yeah, that might be a little heavier of a hand. Than, he would say something like that with double meaning. He would. He's cheeky like that. Okay, and I want to talk about Mora when we're done, but he's right. That might have had double meaning for sure. Yeah, I, I do wonder there. Uh, DIY Gargano and Ciampa versus Cedric Alexander and Norm Dar. Uh, I have no real strong thoughts about this. I don't think we need to waste a whole lot of time. Uh, Gargano, Ciampa, Alexander, very good. Norm Dar has a long way to go because he definitely looked like the you know the the fourth wheel on this match. But uh, I mean, what more? It was a spot fast, ten minute spot. It's exactly what you needed for this show. I, I enjoyed it. I, I don't know if there's any real strong things we can really say about it. I thought it was excellent. I thought I gave this four stars too. It was a great match. But I do think Gargano um, and Ciampa. I know that I know the breakup is the 
the story, but man, I just want these guys to be a team for like a decade. You know what I mean? Like they're so good as a team. Hey, you know what? Maybe, I know maybe. they have a higher ceiling. I know they have a higher ceiling. I know that's like a waste of for them, but God, they're so good at it. Like just as like white meat baby faces for the next 10 years. Oh, I could do it. I'd be fine with if it. If this were the main roster, I'd say the breakup is the story, but it could be a dick tease. I, I, maybe they don't break them up. Maybe they just want you to think they're going to break them up. Mm-hmm. I could see them doing something like that on NXT. I wouldn't bet on it. I, if I'm, if I look, if I were betting, if I would revert back ten years ago and I was a betting man, Rich, I'd bet that they were breaking up. But I'm just saying on NXT, there's a flicker of hope that they don't. I, I, I you know what I mean? They, NXT, you never know. They, they could do something um, off the beaten path with that story. But I, I like this, and I agree with you completely on Dar. I thought if you line up the 32 guys in this tournament, he might be in the second division. In terms of who impressed me, he might be in the back sixteen. Would you agree with that? Uh, certainly, yeah. I think and, guys, and I'm a guy who's not as down on him as other people, but in this match, it was like, oh boy, these guys are he was are the, night and day by over. far the yeah. fourth best person in this match, and it wasn't even close. Um, I'm surprised that they signed him. I, I think he's the kind of guy who might. You can tell, hey, look, come back to us in three years. Um, because he did, or spend it, or spend it two years in, in NXT if you really want too. I yeah, mean, yeah. yeah so so the fact that right. he's like, we, we always forget. That that is development. They have a developmental. Yeah, they have a developmental company if they want to use it. Doesn't feel like it, but they do have a developmental. So from that perspective, I could see signing them. He seems to be mature for his age, and he is like twenty-one or something. Um, and they do t- try to stay away from people at that age, but he seems to have his shit together for someone uh, of that age more than some other, more than Will Ospreay, that's for sure. But um, it, it, but I, you know, no, he didn't impress me. I thought there were people who lost in the first round who were more impressive than him. I would, I was much more impressed with uh, Mustafa Ali than I was mm-hmm. with Noam Dar. I was much more impressed with uh, Ronnie Mendoza than I was with Noam Dar. And these are guys that only had like seven minutes of ring time in the entire tournament. As far as people who advanced deeply into the tournament, he was by far the least impressive person. Uh, not counting Ho-Ho One, who won a match. And he's just absolutely terrible, and there's nothing redeeming about him whatsoever. But you know, aside from Ho-Ho One, um, to me, Dar was, unless I'm forgetting someone obvious, I, he was the least impressive of the people who advanced. And I thought there were several first-round losers who were more impressive than him as well. Uh, and then the main events, uh, Perkins, Metallic, of course, Perkins wins. We talked about that a little bit. Any other thoughts about this match? I think we sort of, in ways, kind of gave all of our thoughts about the main event. But if you have anything else, uh, feel free to chime in because I, I think, I, I, think I basically gave everything up. Yeah, I think it wasn't as good as the Ibushi match, which on paper should have hurt it, right? When the finals not better than the, than one of the semifinals, but um, I, I I don't I still think it was a great match. I went four and a quarter on it. I thought uh, Metallic uh, did a great job working with Perkins, just like he did with Zack Saber Jr. He's another guy who was easily one of the probably four most four or five most impressive people in the tournament, wouldn't you say, uh, Metallic? So uh, he was another guy, and again, he did a great job uh, working other people's styles. Um, I'm glad that he got a deal. I think it's amazing that CMLL and New Japan did nothing with this man, and mm-hmm. WWE is the company that, that pushed him. Yep. Isn't that amazing? I tweeted that out earlier. Like, Imagine that in a world where WWE is the one that finally understands the benefit of the masked Grand Metallic. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. They're like, how do you guys not see this? This guy's great. Like, WWE, of all companies, is like, wow, this masked Luchador guy's great. Like, How do you guys not? Yeah, CMLL couldn't figure out what to do with this guy. New Japan had this guy on part of the roster. We screamed about it. I mean, you can read it in our ebook. We're screaming about it. Oh, my God, do something with this guy. And they didn't. They, they just... 
And, they, and, and the WWE goes, you know what? Hey, this guy's good. We're going to use him. <laughs> so. And by the time they rolled around to doing anything, it was like in his last month when he got that match. Which, yeah, well, that was the dumbest thing, too. They're like, oh, wait, hold on. <laughs> like, what? You've had him for a year. What are you doing? And he but, planted yeah. the seeds for that match months ago. <laughs> right, and, they, right. and they didn't do anything until, you know. So it's like he was, was so trying. Bizarre. But it's funny that this is, the co- this is the company you think wouldn't push him. It's just funny how wrestling works. And then this is the one company that ends up ultimately. But we'll see. The main roster is going to be an entirely different animal because Vince McMahon is not going to have someone on his Monday Night Raw who's in the ring with an interpreter. That's not going to happen. Okay, so <laughs> that's going to be a problem. And let me tell you something. Why did they completely ignore the? Interpreter? I don't know. Did you notice I don't that? Know. I think the guy, the lady that was, I forgot, I forgot her name. So again, if anybody, but whoever was doing the interview, she's not very good. So I think that played a part in it. I think she was like overwhelmed. They didn't know what the hell was going on. But yeah, it was very weird. They're like, all right, here's the interpreter. And like, all right, well, we don't care. All right, <laughs> moving on. I, was I, like, think, I think she was told, I'm not blaming her. I think she was told not to let the interpreter talk for really? whatever bizarre, because if you watch and it back, why was the interpreter in the room? Exactly. Why even do it then? <laughs> because they bring, they bring the three of them in there. And she asks a question. The interpreter asks a question. Metallic answers. And you see the interpreter lean in, getting ready to speak into the mic to give his answer. And the girl just goes right to the next question. So I'm like, all right, maybe, it, you know. It, so, and then they do it again. And then Metallic gives like a long answer. Like he talks for like 30 seconds. And the interpreter leans in again and gets ignored again. I think, she, I think that the English-speaking girl was told to do that. Which, <laughs> why do you, why even do the interview then? It's disrespectful. No one knows what he's saying. Well, not no one, but the majority of your audience has no clue. You know? And I asked Rob Viper last night on, on Twitter, and he said the interpreter, like, did a good job. She asked the questions in Spanish the same way they were at. Like, she did fine. So it wasn't the interpreter's fault. It's just they never they didn't let her give Metallic's answers. I thought that was very disrespectful. That's strange. But the point Absolutely. is, you, you're never gonna you're not gonna have that kind of segment on Raw ever. So that's where I worry that he may just be used as like fodder to put other people over because he can't speak right. the language. So we'll see what happens on the main roster. But it was good to see him get a deep run here, um, and could, because even if. Zack Sabre Jr. and Kota Ibushi had signed with the company, he still got to the semifinals either way. Like, all right, he might have lost last night if the idea was to put Zack Sabre through, but he still they still treated him very well and pushed him and 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 gave him a contract. So from that perspective, um, you know, th- that worked out for him. Now, to me, um, the most impressive people in the tournament, I would say were were uh were Kota Ibushi would have to be, I think, number one. I think TJ Perkins number two. Um, and then number three, it, you're really open for debate. I would lean towards Metallic um, in terms of bell to bell. Where do you stand on something like that? Uh, I thought he was. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of who really he's there. I mean, I, the, the Gallagher match was great. Uh, the Tazawa match was great. The Saber match I enjoyed. And I enjoyed that. Fight. I mean, that's a pretty good catalog and of his matches. First there. round match was a nice spot. Oh, sorry, he had Tajiri, not 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 uh, uh, Tazawa had uh, yeah. Sorry, Tajiri. Yeah. Sorry, Tajiri. He faced Tazawa in the second. Yeah, he didn't face Gallagher. Uh, he faced Tazawa. So yeah, Tajiri, Tazawa, Saber, and, and Perkins. Yeah, that's. And the Matula like... match was kicked off the tournament. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, or no, he uh, Grand Metallic was Sias. Sias. I keep. I keep right. Yeah, yeah. Matula, Matula faced Abushi. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was a. Yeah, I forgot that Sias match was good too. So yeah, that's like what five <laughs> really good. He's yeah. When you talk about full catalogs there, yeah, Abushi is my number one for sure. 
uh, really looking at it, it might be. Uh, yeah, Gul- it, Gulak it, it, was really good. And yeah, I, I don't even like Gulak, but I thought he was. I thought he was really good. Um, I wouldn't put him in the top three. Um, I, he'd be. In, I liked. He'd be a step yeah, per- below with like Kendrick and guys like that. Right. Yeah. Perkins had a, a a solid top tier, but I didn't. I didn't really like that match against Swan all that much. Um, I don't remember. Yeah, Demac was not good, and that's not really his fault. And then the Gargano match, I remember enjoying, but not necessarily to that level. Yeah, I'd say maybe. Uh, I don't know. See, I liked Perkins' run better than you did then. But yeah, no, I, I enjoyed it, but I just don't know if it's like. Well, see, I like I like yeah. I like those Gargano and Swan matches though, and you don't seem to like them. But obviously, Perkins killed it on the final night, which. Um, but I mean, yeah, those would be my top three anyway, unless I'm forgetting someone obvious. Then I yeah. think the next tier would be. Kendrick, Tazawa, Gulak. Oh, Tazawa, yeah, of course. I'd have to put him up there. I forgot about him. Uh, Dorado is a guy that I, you know, he only had two matches, but they were two awesome. I mean, that Mustafa Ali match was incredible, and and, and then I really liked the him versus Swan as well. So he'd oh, be one that I'd Dorado. have to Yeah, you're, sure, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which might be why they changed Grand Metallic's name, right? Now that I think about it, two Dorados, two Dorada, Dorado. Oh, yeah. Because they ain't yeah. changed some of these other names. Oh, well, you know what? Then again, I think... Uh, CMLL might own the other name. CMLL owns the rights yeah, to Dorado, so I think they, their hand was forced a little bit there. Yeah, Tazawa had a good little tournament too. Yeah, I, I yeah, I'd put Metallic probably in that top three, and then yeah, I'd be probably a Bushi Metallic, yeah, some combination of Tazawa, uh, maybe Perkins a little bit out of there, and then Dorado is probably might be my top five if I had to make those. Yeah, great tournament though, good stuff. All right, and you want to talk real quick about uh, Mauro Ranallo and his so commentary. Mauro, yeah, I think that like I what I don't understand is why it upsets people so much that he reference that he makes Pearl references. Now, it doesn't bother me at all, like at all. I don't get annoyed at that stuff at all. He can do it every single match, and it wouldn't annoy me. But I, I think I figured it out, Rich. I think I figured out why. First of all, the pop culture references they can get fucked. I hate when he does that because those feel super forced. And I'm not saying the guy's a perfect announcer. But my thing with Morrow is I've been watching this company since 1985 are my earliest memories of this company when I was fucking whatever, six years old or whatever the fuck. Okay? Um, and they have never had an announcer who speaks to me ever in their history. It's always bullshit commentary. The commentary in this company has sucked forever. Since, 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 other than Jesse Ventura, I've never liked any of the commentary in this company. Okay, and it's like they finally have a a a, a sports oriented play by play guy who speaks to my sensibilities as a fan. Okay, that's why I think he's the best commentator they've ever had in my lifetime. And I'd rather listen to Morrow call a WWE match or any match for that matter than anybody else in wrestling. And I and I like the Pearl references. I don't understand what do we really want to go back? Do we want to go back to where WWE announcers? Uh, behave and act like only WWE exists because I hate that shit and I have always hated that shit. Uh, I I like that he recognizes that there's wrestling outside of the scope of WWE, okay? I don't care if someone does a penalty kick and he says shades of Katsuyori Shibata, why would that bother you? That's a move Shibata does. What's the big deal? Okay? You see a Dodan and he says, no, Ryusuke Taguchi made that famous. Well, he fucking did. What's the problem? Who cares? Why? I don't understand why this bothers people other than from the perspective. If you think he does it too much, I, I still – Bingo. I will roll 100% my, yes. Well, that's fine. I'll roll my eyes at you because I still – I don't even think he does it too much. Okay? I disagree with that too. But I can at least – okay, fine. Whatever. But I prefer that 
to Michael Cole. Or right, but I, I think that, that you're assuming that it only can be one or the but other. Rich, you're assuming but, A Rich, or B. But here's yeah. the thing. It can only be one or the other because who? that's what they teach. For whatever reason, he gets a pass. No, no, I agree. But no, and I, I agree. But the, the, I, the, my big thing is the frequency of them are a little much. And the fact that it just seems to be him talking about new. It's just every move is this is a new Japan guy and here's what he does. To me, that's a little much. He doesn't have to say at every STF. He doesn't have to remind you that Keiji Muda did the STF. Every penalty kick, he doesn't have to remind you that Katsuri Shibata did the, the penalty kick. And he was doing it every single time, every I, single I match. I don't, think he, it was, I, see, I don't think he does it as much as people think. I, he does. I, he really does. We counted like there was like 15 times in that final that he did that. That's a lot. Here's the thing. I think people, that's a lot. I think people have decided they're annoyed by it, which is their right. Yeah. If you want to be annoyed by it, that's great. And now... Every time he does it, we act like it's the end of the fucking world and he's putting himself over. And I think that that sort of extrapolates it and it makes it seem like he's doing it. I, the pop culture stuff, Now, I think he's much better here than he is on SmackDown. On SmackDown, I think he's still kind of finding his footing with the two goofballs he's working with. And he has more restrictions than he has here. He's still pretty much has free reign. And I still like him on SmackDown. I still think he's the best guy in the company on SmackDown. Uh, other than maybe uh, – um, uh, what's his name? The guy on uh, Raw now. Um, Corey Graves. Other than maybe Corey – but they have different jobs. Yeah. One's a play-by-play guy. One, so you can't really compare them either because they, they have two completely different roles. And and Graves, you know, he's better on NXT. He's still finding his way on Raw a little bit too. But I don't know. Listen, I, listen, I don't know. It just doesn't bother me like it bothers the rest of you. He can make Pearl references all fucking day and it wouldn't bother me. Look, I like Pearl. Why would it bother me? If, yeah, to me, it's really the frequency. I don't mind that he did it, but it seems like it was happening a lot more. And it was starting to kind of get at me a little bit where I was like, all right, I get it, man. You don't have to. And the, I, I guess maybe the fact that it was just like it felt like it was just kind of throwing it in there to throw it in there. Like he didn't really add any extra stuff. He just went, oh, shades of, of Hiroki Goto. And then he just moved on. And it was like, all right, like every, you don't have to do it every time. The, or Rich, or if you want to educate people, just saying the name is going to. I mean, then if you really want to do that, if you want to say, then then go out there, put, put your balls on the line there and say that's uh, Hiroki Goto does that New Japan. Pro, you know, uh, I mean, Could you he would just say, on a second, well, no. no, well, hold on. But then is it any different than him just going, oh, Katsuri Shibata, oh, Kejimura, oh, Tatsumi Fujinami, oh, that's a rookie Goto, oh, that's Ruzuke Taguchi. Like, what does that do then? You're saying that that's fine, but then if he said the word, if he uttered the word of the company, it would be no, the end of the no, world? I'd be okay with it. If he wants to go that route and even go further with it and educate and say so-and-so invented this move in, in 1983, I'd be great with that. But Rich... People would really kill him if he did that. Could you imagine if he went into history lessons on top of dropping the names? You can forget about it. They'd be even more like I'm on board with that. I'm totally okay with that. And I figured out why. Have you noticed that the Europeans seem to hate him more than anybody else? Do you seem to notice that? Um, it's not really, very, but to me, it's very strong from the European side. I think the European fans. Are mu- now everyone seems to be, but the Europeans seem strong, and I think it's because, and this is my theory. Okay, when I sit down and watch a football game, or I sit down and watch a baseball game, one thing that irritates me faster than anything is an announcer that doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. When I'm watching real sports, an announcer doesn't know the rules, or isn't familiar with the players, or gets something wrong. I watch every single Reds game. Okay. When they're on national TV and the announcer is clueless about a player, it drives me fucking nuts to the point I got to turn the sound off. Me as the viewer, I should never know more than the people who are, who are, who are doing the game. I, I hate when announcers parachute into a game and don't know shit. I hate when the analysts 
doesn't. Is there anything worse than watching? You're shooting on Charles Barkley right now, is what you're doing. Is there anything worse than watching? And, as you should. Yeah. An NFL game, and there's a controversial play, and neither announcer knows the rule. I fucking can't stand. They need to know that. And here's the thing with Morrow. He's always prepared. He's over prepared. That mm-hmm. guy is. He prepares like no one else. Uh, he takes his job seriously. He pronounces every name, everything properly to the point it's annoying. Jack Gallagher and everything else. The pronunciations, I didn't even know. The guy is overprepared, which I love. He knows his shit. I don't care if it's – look, he gets the facts right, and I appreciate that. And I can take that trade off for an awful Khloe Kardashian reference that I don't need to hear because he's prepared. He does it right. He knows what he's talking about. And again, when I'm watching a match, Rich, and I see somebody do a penalty kick – I'm thinking about Shibata. So why would it bother me that he brings Shibata up? I'm just speaking from, from my point of view, and, and I'm going to circle this back to why I think the Europeans hate him more than the Americans do. Okay, And this was the same thing back when he did MMA. There were people who couldn't stand him calling MMA, and I loved him doing MMA. It was all the same complaints too. I, I like him because he's like a sports commentator. He comes in with facts. He gives you background. He tells you uh, the, the genesis of things, and I, I, I appreciate that. He doesn't talk down to me. I don't want someone ever to talk to feel like they're talking down to the audience. And the WWE commentators have been talking down to the audience for 30 fucking years. And I appreciate that there's finally somebody who doesn't talk down to anyone. And he just calls it the way he sees it, and he's calling it for me. I don't give a fuck if some kid in a Cena shirt doesn't know who Taguchi is. I know who he is. And I appreciate that you're talking to me. For once, someone's talking to Joe Lanza. Okay, I don't give a shit if if 90% of the audience doesn't know what he's going on about. I like it. Okay, and I'm selfish, and I like. All right, well, Joe was so impassioned there that he uh, did. You blow your mic? I don't know what the hell happened, but we lost connection in the midst of that. We were going to have you come back to that level and be like, "I love Mormon," but there's no way we'd ever recreate. I don't know where I don't know where it cut off. All I was basically saying was, "There's finally an announcer that speaks to me." And I I don't give a shit if some Cena, some kid who likes John Cena doesn't get it. I get it and I like it. I'm not concerned with what other people think about it. So I. A little press for time here. Do you want to still do backlash or do you want to talk about this Akira Tozawa thing? I don't know that we can do both. Uh, Let's do uh, backlash. Okay. All right. Let's do backlash real quick. Um, Very quick, unfortunately, because I do have to go. But anyway, yeah, let's talk about backlash. I thought uh, overall thoughts, I enjoyed the show a lot. It it completely exceeded my expectations. We talked last week and kind of eye rolled it and it looked like a bad card on paper. And I I do, you know, our our preview was barely read. Like people just did not read this preview compared to what our other WWE reviews or previews do. Uh, But it ended up delivering big time. And it was I I loved it. I thought it was one of the better WWE pay-per-views top to bottom they've had all year. Yeah, I think it was a shockingly good show, and um, it, it doesn't feel like it after what we watched last night. It kind of got completely overshadowed now, but um, an excellent pay-per-view, and I think part of the reason was there were only six matches, and everything got time, and everyone seemed to be motivated with the time that they were given, and that might be the new formula. Stop cramming nine matches on these shows. Yeah, everything got like 10 minutes. I mean, other than, of course, you know, Bray Wyatt and Randy Orton, that didn't get, but everything else got, you know, over 10 minutes. And it, it really, it felt that way too. And it, when it was all said and done, like I thought, and that was one of my worries, is that these, the guys would work in a way that was like, because, you know, sometimes we see this 
longer matches on TV or whatever. And all it is is like side headlocks for five of the minutes. And then they go to, you know, then they do their last five minutes or whatever. But this was like the gloves were off for some of these guys. And they were able to kind of do some pretty fun stuff. I thought the Usos and the Hype Bros was like way better than they had any right to be. And I think it was because they had a little bit more time to do stuff. And they said, okay, let's construct a match. Let's get a little ebb and flow here. Let's get some hot tags. Let's get a few different acts to this match. And they were able to do that. And that's, you don't get that. I mean, the Usos and the Hype Brothers in in any other universe would have been four minutes long. The Usos would have done their shit. The Hype Bros would have done their shit. And then we're in and out. And it's like my brain is completely, you know, it's out of my brain immediately when it's over. Whereas this, it felt like it had some life to it. It had some purpose. It had some meaning. And the same thing uh, with Slater and Rhino and the Usos. I thought that was just, and the Usos are guys that I I don't usually like. But I thought this was like, oh, geez, like these guys are actually pretty good when you give them some time and let them them really construct a match and let them construct a tag match. And I thought that both those matches far exceeded what I thought because I thought they were going to be these four-minute sprints to just get in and get out or whatever. And they weren't at all. They were really well-constructed matches. So I love both of those. Miz Ziggler getting 18 minutes so like that, that again and like that's I thought we were going to get the Miz doing side headlocks the entire time but instead he said you know what I'm going to blow the doors off. I'm going to do Daniel Bryan spots I'm going to do like I thought the Miz was spectacular in that match I thought Ziggler was great in that match too I mean that was just those three matches just so far exceeded any expectations that I could have ever had yeah my quick thoughts on those I like the way the Usos are carrying themselves as heels uh, they really feel like a fresh act. They're also uh, distinguishing the way they look individually now, so you could actually tell them apart, which I think is good. I think they need to find their footing as far as how to work as heels. I think they've, they're going a little bit too far into the headlock territory. Uh, you can still – I firmly believe that unlike 1978, if you're a heel, you can still work in exciting spots. Just do them with swagger. Do them uh, with some cockiness, and it's fine. Um, there's no reason they can't still dive off the top rope and do their splash finish. Um, in fact, you know, you, you look back, one of their uncles, one half of the Islanders, Haku and Tama, their finish was a splash. It was Tama doing a splash off the top rope. But because he was so cocky about it and made mean faces when he was pinning the guy, it came off as a heel move. Fans aren't just automatically going to clap and cheer because they see a guy coming off the ropes. People are still going to boo you if you're a dick. So I think they need to find their footing as far as working as heels. They don't need to completely grind down their style. But I do like how they're presenting themselves as heels. And I thought it was a good follow-up to the heel turn. This is a rare heel turn in that company that feels like the person that the people who turned are actually doing something different now. The Miz and Ziggler, like you... I liked it a lot. I thought it was a very good match. I thought both guys were excellent, and I really loved the finish because it continues to push the story of the Miz really is full of shit, and he really does need his wife to save his ass every time, and Daniel Bryan is right about him. So I think it's important to keep doing that. Yeah. And, and, and it's a good, like, that's when a fuck finish really works, when it's that sort yes. of thing, because like, you really feel like he stole something that you wanted. And that's not just the, the let's have a stupid little finish just because we have a stupid little finish. This was one where, like, because it went that long and he took it away from you and he took that moment away from you and he, and he, he was just a, such a chicken shit about it, is that that's cool. That's what it's about. That's what those finishes and that's what a fuck finish is supposed to do, not just do it to do it on a random rod. This is a moment when it works and it just clicks. Yeah, so he's, he's doing a good job from a character perspective, getting that storyline over. And he's having good matches, too. And, um, you know, give Ziggler credit. The guy has no momentum. He continues to be a complete non-entity with the fans. And, and he just goes out there and he keeps working hard, um, despite people dumping on him. He's like the Hiroki Goto of WWE, where the fans sort of conflate the push to the man. All these guys go out there and do and have good matches. I don't know why people hate these two guys, like Goto and Ziggler. They go out there and have good matches. I mean, what's the problem? It's like they lose all the time. 
like it's it's wrestling though. It's worked. You know what? Ziggler can lose every match ever. If he goes out there and has matches like he had against the Miz, I don't mind watching him at all. I, that doesn't you know. Same thing with Goto. Goto can lose every match until the end of time. If he goes out there and has great matches every time, what do I care? Uh, Kane Bray Wyatt. Why was this good? Because it was. It was <laughs> like, good. I, like that. That's how you know you got a special night there when Kane and Bray Wyatt and you and I are saying that was very good and we both liked it. I mean that that uh, it's just. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's you have the weird thing with Orton with the concussion and everything, but yet they're still letting him do RKOs, which I don't I don't know. I, I don't really I don't really care enough about that. If he has a concussion, he doesn't have a concussion. I, I I'm so not interested in that aspect of any of that. I really don't care. I'm so tired of talking about concussions. But um, you know, so they send Kane out there and and they do a no holds barred match, which means they could have a lot of shortcut, and the shortcuts helped. I mean, Bray Wyatt did that gorgeous senton off the announce table through the other announcing table, which was a great spot. And then uh, they have Orton come down and give him the RKO and, and, and Kane gets to win with the choke slam. But the important thing there was Bray Wyatt survived the choke slam earlier in the match. So a lot of people were like, ah, why do you have Kane beating Bray Wyatt? But it's like, you know, it's like, it was pretty obvious. The only reason that Kane beat Bray Wyatt is because of Randy Orton. So that was just a device to move the Randy Orton push forward, to, to move the Randy Orton feud forward. doesn't mean anything for Kane. And I don't think it made Bray come off, any worse either to be completely honest with you because he, he you know he survived that guy's move to begin with so yeah uh, i forgot i skipped over the women's match the six-pack challenge Do you have any strong thoughts about this i was happy to see becky win uh, the match itself i think a lot of other people liked it more than i did but i, th- I thought it was solid but not as spectacular as i thought other well people you liked were, it more were. than dave who gave it like two and a quarter i mean i yeah. thought it was great i loved it i i i thought this was the match of the night and i was ready to wax poetically about it until the main event um, the main event blew it away, obviously, but I thought this was in the four-star range. I thought this was great. I mm. thought other than a, a one minor flub where Naomi went for like uh, – <laughs> That wasn't a minor flub. That was bad. Well, it, it, you know what? I blame Natalia though because – Yes, it was Natalia's fault. It wasn't on Naomi, but no, that was more than a minor flub, I would say. But Naomi tried to get over on the skin of the cat and then grab her like in a head scissor, and she didn't get over. She like couldn't pull herself up. And then Natalia, instead of being a veteran – and moving on to something else and improvising. Stood there. And that that and it was probably what, Rich, two seconds, but it felt like twenty fucking minutes as she's yeah. waiting for Naomi to redo the skin the cat. And it totally killed the momentum of the match. Other than that, I think everything in the match worked. I thought even Carmelo was great in this match. I thought Carmelo mm-hmm. was great down the stretch in this match after Nikki slapped her and she fucking went ape shit, lost her concentration, attack lost her cool, lost her focus because of the slap, and then went after Becky, which ultimately cost her the match. I thought the booking was good in this match. I thought um, you know, the, the spots early in the match where things really could have fell apart, they all held it together and did well. I thought Alexa Bliss looked good for when she was in there. Um, I wasn't a fan of Becky winning the title so soon, but the way it was done and the way everything was handled in the aftermath, I'm on board. I'm happy that she won. I like her in the chase more, but whatever, you know, up, I can't be upset it, it, that she won. It, it ended up yet. working. So it's yeah. like, I wasn't coming into the match. I didn't want her to win yet, but it, it, I'll be honest. It did end up working. So, um, no, I don't know. I, yeah, I did like it a lot more than you. I loved it. I thought it was really good and it was the best match on the show until the main event. And then let's get to that main event. There, styles, of course, defeating D'Ambrose to win the, uh, the world championship. 
Um, what more can be said about AJ Styles this year? I mean, just he's just killing it everywhere. Anytime he's doing it. And, like, you know, Ambrose held his own, too. But, again, like, the, the, the idea that I had after this match was, oh, my God, Styles is just, just the best in the world right now. I mean, he's untaught. I mean, anybody he's in with, regardless of what he's doing, I mean, that guy just makes it work. And, and this match was just top to bottom. I mean, 25 minutes, it was just the right amount of length. I thought it was it was as perfect as a match as I could have ever assumed AJ Styles and Dean Ambrose would have had. I just thought everything was perfect. I loved everything about it. I, I just, I had no, it really had very few flaws for me. Yeah, it was a great match. And Ambrose is great, too. This was the best match of his title run. Um, and and I, I think that, uh, not not like he held the title for three years, but you know it, it, this was a peak Ambrose of, of uh, you know the title win and all his title defenses. This was the best match, and I thought he held up his end of this very well. I thought the pacing in this match was incredible. This was nonstop from bell to bell, uh, a very hard pace. Uh, they didn't slow down. The stamina on these two men to work a match that hard straight through, with the story being that Ambrose just would not die. So you sort of had to have that pace and you sort of had to have Ambrose eat a bunch of moves to tell that story of Ambrose just refusing to go away and refusing to be finished. And I thought my favorite spot in the match was uh, AJ had the uh, calf cutter on and to escape it, uh, Ambrose just grabbed him by the head and just bashed his skull into the mat. And they had a great camera shot, too, and it's one that they don't normally have. It was a high camera. Do you, did you notice that? Yeah, yeah. It was, like, above the ring. They don't really bust that camera out all that often, and that was it, it was perfect for that moment. Yeah, so and that was probably my favorite spot in the match. And then, uh, you know, of course, uh, the ref gets distracted. AJ takes advantage because he's having a hard time finishing the guy, kicks him in the balls, gives him the styles clash. And I think it was important, and I think it was good, and I think it was right that he won the title with the clash and not that stupid fucking forearm. I, I was really happy about that. Yeah, I agree. It's kind of a new moment, a new change of the guard, I think, a little bit in, in a way. And, and I like the fact that it wasn't just he hit him in the balls and then he pinned him in that sort of way. And, and even then, it sort of works with the AJ character, and that's, that's a benefit of building these characters, is that when a guy, you know, he, he hit him in the nuts because I'm going to take this chance. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not, I'm not being an asshole I'm just taking any opportunity I can give. I mean, I'm, 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 I've worked so hard to get to this moment, and this, you know, you're presenting this opportunity to me. I'm going to take it. Like, you know, and, and that, I and don't that was the look on his face, like, and that was the look on right. his face. He kind of was like, "Should I do this? Should I do this? Yeah, fuck it. You know, I've worked too damn hard for this. I'm going to do it." And he did it, and he went. Like, so it wasn't the I'm being evil to be evil. You know, my least favorite thing in wrestling is the ah, I'm evil. Ah, you know, he looked. He, the ref went down. He was just kind of like, uh, "All right, like I'm going to take advantage of this." Like, it was an opportunity. It wasn't you know him being dastardly. It was just. He took this opportunity to to finally win this title, and yeah, I love that. I mean, that that's what that's when a low blow and a rough bump works in that context. And he had great facials for it too, and really sold it. So, and like you said, he didn't just schoolboy him; he then used the clash to. to yeah, he to still won. Him. He just took a little bit of an advantage. Right. He just got a little bit of an edge, and then then he still rightfully won. And you can make an argument: No, I hit you with the Styles Clash. That's how I won. I didn't. I didn't win from the low blow. And that I, and just I, and I feel like, and I feel like Ambrose would have done that too. Yeah, exactly. But but the thing too, and, and the other reason it works too for him is because, again, the story of the match was that Ambrose just wouldn't fucking die. And it was sort of a play on the AJ Cena match, which was the same story. And that's sort of why too that this doesn't really make AJ look bad the way, you know, because the way Kevin Owens won the title was fucking bullshit and it makes him look like a dork. But the way that, that uh, a guy, you know, like a guy who didn't deserve it, but the way that... um that AJ won. Like, look at the way he beat Cena. He beat Cena clean as a sheet, 
the month before. So this doesn't come off that way because he just beat the top guy in the company in the middle of the ring in a match that had a very similar story. So he was in the same situation again with Ambrose, but had the opportunity to take a bit of a shortcut, so he did. And I, and again, like you, I don't have a problem with, with a, a heel being a heel in that manner because he didn't, he didn't come out of that match feeling like he was undeserving at all. And that's the key to it all. And I, right, did was, and I did think it was. Oh, sorry. I did think it was a great match. Uh, well over four star, best match of Ambrose's run, and like you said earlier, uh, another you know feather in AJ Styles' cap. Got to be a top contender for Wrestler of the Year. Yeah, yeah, I went four and a half, uh, four and a quarter rather uh, for that one. So I, I really, really enjoyed that. So uh, it's our backlash uh, review, and then real quickly before we get out of here, uh, Dangerous Gates uh, is coming up the twenty second. So a few, in a few more days until that's going on. Uh, did want to talk real quick. We don't, we're, we're not going to break down the entire card. We will watch the show. I believe, I believe both of us will watch it, and we'll review. We'll talk about it in a future. Yeah, we'll review it on a future show. But the big news here is the main event: Open the Dreamgate Championship, Yamato versus Akira Tozawa. And Joe, is this it for Akira Tozawa in Dragon Gate? I mean, yeah, this is it. And this tears, gonna, tears will be shed. That's that's a long timer right there. Tears will be shed. This is going to be a hard one for a lot of people. I think if you can name one guy on the roster, which will be the most emotional going. I mean, other than she, other than Shima, who would be? I mean, it'd be Tozawa, right? I mean, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's like. Because his story, too, because he was a guy who came, like, literally from the bottom of that company, was ridiculed, was, you know, he's had so much stuff that he's had to endure to get to this point of where he is and to get to where, he, I mean, it's just incredible where he's gone in such a short amount of time as well. Humiliating that gimmicks and, yeah. you, know, the, the, you know, his rise and that he's just so charismatic. He's, you know, a huge fan favorite in Japan and in the and among Western fans especially, which is and it's like this is this is not going to be an easy one. This is going to be a hard one. Um, I think it's a blow to the company too. Um, not any, you know any kind of blow that's going to you know ruin their business or anything like that. But he's an important part of the company, and I think that they were telling a long term story with him. Um, but I think that this was always in the cards for him. I think he wanted to be in WWE. I think they probably understood that, and now he has the opportunity, and he's going to go. Um, I think that's part of the reason he never – they really never went full steam ahead with him. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that plays into it. Um, so we're never going to get that moment that we all thought we were going to get where he was going to hit that straight jacket German on somebody in Osaka, uh, preferably Osaka, and, and, and win the Dreamgate. We're never getting that, unfortunately. Um, but – you know, well, well, who knows? I mean, you know, maybe. <laughs> down the line, maybe, maybe in ten years. But I mean, you know, obviously he's he's going to be in Dragon Gate again at some point. He's not retiring in WWE. Um, but I mean, you know, it doesn't look like we're going to get that. So you know, and and he's going to go out there and what was that? That's oh, my phone. Sorry. Oh yeah. Damn new that, iOS that, is a mess. Yeah. Yeah, it is going to be a tough one. So I mean, you know, we'll we'll review the whole show. Uh, we let's just commit to that now, so people can. Yes, yeah, we're doing it because we always fuck it up with the Dragon Gate. <laughs> we're um, doing this one, though, I promise. But yeah, it's it's it's. I I don't know how I feel about it. Honestly, it's it'll be fun to see him in WWE. But I'll be honest with you, I think I got my fill of that with the Cruiserweight Classic. Yeah, it's, I, I kind of yeah, th- and that's. I thought it was really going to be something. I was going to be like, oh man, he fits like a glove in this company, and and he does 
for a little bit, but I feel like it's something that it's just the, the novelty is going to be gone after like two matches. And I think he's just it's gone for me already, honestly. I think yeah, it, and I can see that. I could absolutely. Yeah, I think he's he, he's he's a special person on on Dragon Gate. I don't know if he's going to be that on on WWE main roster. I, I'm not even talking from the perspective of whether he'll be successful or not. I'm just talking the perspective as me selfishly as a fan. Yeah. I'd rather see him in Dragon Gate. You know, I, I feel like. I feel like, I don't know, I feel like I'm satisfied with what I saw of him in Cruiserweight Classic in terms of getting a shot in WWE. And that's kind of why I'm not upset Ibushi didn't sign. I, I'm fine with that decision. I'd rather see Kota Ibushi have big matches with the new stars in DDT. I'd rather see him do whatever he's going to do with Kenny Omega than see him in, because I feel like I saw him in WWE now. I saw it. He had three great matches. And, and, and I'm satisfied with that. I, and I think it's what he can do in, in Japan is more interesting right now than what he can do in WWE. Right. You'll be more invested in the Akira Tozawa, you know, winning the title in Osaka thing, like you said, yes. more than you'd ever, whatever he does in WWE, which is, I mean, where, where the peak of WWE Akira Tozawa is what? Like, Beating you know, CJ Perkins on a B paper. Yeah, like having some fun matches and being curious. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure whereas he- you can really, you can really invest in that Dragon Gate story of him. You know, for six months, going okay, right here, starting now. You know, in six months' time, I'm winning that title or what? I mean, that would be awesome. And and you're not going to get that WWE. And I think that's what you, you sort of always and, and yeah, I, I get it. I absolutely 100 percent get that idea. And there's always the danger with him that he's too good and too charismatic and too good at comedy to where Vince gets a hold of that. Mm-hmm. There is that we we talked about that before. There he's a, carrying chopsticks to the ring, and yeah, that 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 could go real south real quick. Even if it's not racial shit, I can totally see him being involved in silly shit because he's yeah. way too good at it. I think it's, yeah, his facials are too good. Vince is going to love his facials. You know, Vince loves a good guy that can make some good funny faces. What about this when, is not going to be good? What about when they find out he can sing? Oh no! Yeah. I mean, him and Heath Slater, baby. <laughs> Let's do this. I mean, that's what I mean. It, like, forget <laughs> yeah. the racist stuff because you know always a, there's always a shot at that in that company. Even putting that aside, he could get wrapped up in just undercard silliness, and he'll and you know what? He'll fucking kill it, and he'll be great at it, and he'll excel. But that's the kiss of death for upward movement. And let's face it, he's never main event in WrestleMania anyway. So you know, let's be honest here. So for me, I don't know. I'd rather just see him stay. But I, 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 I but yeah, this is going to be a tough one. Absolutely. All right, Joe. Let's uh, get out of here. Before we do, though, I do want to let people know that we uh, are also sponsored this week by Lyft. So you can start driving for Lyft today and receive a $500 bonus. All you do is go to lyft.com slash bonus, select Voices of Wrestling. We've talked about it many times on the show before. Uh, driving for Lyft is easy. It makes you some decent money. You do it in your free time. You do it whenever you want. We can sign up today. Lyft.com slash bonus. You select Voices of Wrestling. You'll get a $500 bonus just for signing up through that special link and through our Voices of Wrestling little drop-down uh, selection there as well. But yeah, you can start driving for Lyft. Uh, everybody I've talked to enjoys it. They make decent money. You make up to $35 an hour. Of course, you get that $500 bonus, and who could possibly argue with that? Lyft.com slash bonus, select Voices of Wrestling. We thank them again for sponsoring this week's episode of Voice of Wrestling, along with Dollar Shave Club. DollarShaveClub.com slash voices to start your free month. Joe, any final thoughts? No, sir. All right. So for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Great. Sorry again about the abbreviated episode, but I think we did a decent amount of stuff in this two hours. So anyway, for Joe Lanza, I'm Rich Great. We'll see you next time on the Voices of Wrestling podcast. Take care. In a world of one million wrestling podcasts, there is a new shining star with great interviews, analysis, music, and and me, Matt Coon, on total engagement. Go to any podcast platform to listen today.